0: So much of life's fulfillment is about pursuing things that you're passionate about and that that you're interested in. And that's the thing that maybe I feel most excited about is that regardless of how big or successful or whatever it becomes in those terms, it's, it's interesting to me. The biggest thing I think as an athlete for most people is having the confidence to pull back when things aren't going right. Your training plan is only perfect on the day that you make it. And then there are all these other variables that come in, like oh, my kid kept me up last night, or you know, I had this really stressful phone call with a supplier, whatever it is. And those things affect you. And so, if you don't listen to those things, listen to your body, then ultimately you're just kind of like plowing through on this thing that doesn't make any more
1: sense. That's Jesse Thomas, and this is the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. This is my podcast. Welcome or welcome back. Got a great show for you guys today. Happy to be with all of you. Today's guest is not only one of the world's most accomplished professional triathletes, he's also one of the most popular, one of the most likable, grounded, funny, and dynamic professional athletes I've ever met. His name is Jesse Thomas. He's super rad, he's super fast, but oh, so much more than meets the eye. And it all begins with him as a standout track and field athlete at Stanford. But the story really starts in 2011 at something called the Wildflower Triathlon, which for those of you who are unfamiliar is a very prestigious triathlon race. And at the time, Jesse was a complete unknown in this sport. And yet on a borrowed bike and a pair of $9 aviator sunglasses that he bought at the drugstore, outright wins the race. He absolutely crushes it. And to give you a sense of how shocking this was in the triathlon community, the announcer, the race announcer actually asks him as he crossed the finish line, like, who are you? In any event, since then, Jesse has gone on to become the first person to win that very same race three years in a row. And along his circuitous path as a pro, he has podiumed at some of the most prestigious races in the world, including a coveted third at the Challenge Roth Ironman distance event last summer, which is a extremely prestigious Ironman race. But the reason I wanted to share Jesse's story has very little to do with his somewhat, uh, I guess you could call it unrelatable ability to exercise better than the rest of us, and so much more to do with who he is as a person. This guy who is alchemizing in real time this insanely demanding training and racing schedule with what I think is a more relatable experience of dealing with the pressures of being a present dad a husband, a podcast host. Check out his show, Work, Play, Love. It's great. And a CEO. He's an entrepreneur who at the same time is running this company called Picky Bars, which is a performance nutrition company. Uh, They make great stuff, gluten and dairy-free energy bars and granola and oatmeal, which he co-founded with his wife, Lauren Fleshman, who herself is an incredibly successful former professional runner. She earned more all-American accolades than any other athlete in Stanford history. So this is a power couple. In any event, Jesse's super witty. He's a great storyteller, and those stories are coming up in a few. But first. We're brought to you today by On. that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew, because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm gonna tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own N.A. beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia, and he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and... Deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions, I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients faithful to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious small batch craft alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but... Basically, you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Okay, Jesse, so what do we talk about? Well, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about Jesse's beginnings as a track and field and cross-country star at Stanford, how he became the first person to win the Wildflower Triathlon three years in a row, what it's like to run this entity, Picky Bars, and how that works symbiotically with his life as a professional athlete, what it's like to work with your wife professionally, uh, the challenges that athletes face retiring and grappling with a loss of purpose. We talk about The power of athletes storytelling and how it's kind of incumbent upon professional athletes these days in the modern Instagram era to do that very thing. Uh, And we talk about working with a coach. He has a legendary coach, Matt Dixon. We talk about that. We talk about his podcast and how he made aviator shades a thing. Oh, and uh, one final note. I have Zero financial entanglement with Picky Bars. They're not a sponsor of the show. It is great stuff. I love it. Bars, granola, oatmeal, everything is nutritionally balanced. It's tasty. Uh, It's all plant-based. Although I think a few products have honey in them, so make sure you check the nutritional facts label. Uh, But I eat their stuff all the time. And Jesse, out of the kindness of his big heart, did want to gift you guys a little something special for listening today. Payback, I guess, for us feeding him lunch on the day he did the interview perhaps in any event you can get 30 percent off picky bar products when you go to pickybars.com and use the code rich roll at checkout it's a great deal i'm not an affiliate i make zero money off of this i'm just uh, passing it along and it really is good stuff so enough here's me and jesse thomas Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you Thanks too. Thanks for coming out. Absolutely. Uh, we're doing a double header today. <laughs> I know, you I was, are. <laughs> I was joking with Colin that you guys brought the Oregon <laughs> weather. Two Oregon triathletes on the same day. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and and we did.
0: The rain is is pretty bad out there right now, but um, it's still pretty, it's still nicer than we, as we were talking, still a lot nicer than Bend is yeah. right now.
1: You had like 11 degrees yeah. out the other day. Yeah,
0: so I got to run outside today for the first time in two weeks, which uh-huh. even though it was Downpour, you know, thunderous downpour. The entire run, it was a lot nicer than running on the treadmill.
1: Why do all these professional triathletes live in places with inhabitable <laughs> weather? I don't understand.
0: You know, I don't know. That's a good question.
1: It's nice a lot of the year, but yeah, it is. It it, it can be a drag.
0: You get uh, you know, I discovered Nordic skiing. Nordic skiing uh-huh. super fun. It's a nice way to spend the winter, and then you, and then you kind of force to change it up a little bit, which is nice. You right. know, I think if I if I could actually Swim, bike, and run all year outside. I would be much more likely to hurt myself. Probably,
1: I think know? that's or burn, true. Or burn out. You, you hear these extent. stories of guys that that like move to Hawaii for yeah. that reason, right? And then and then, and then nothing happens. You then think like, smoked. oh, that'll be like this Archimedes lever that's going to yeah. make their career, you know, yeah. fantastic. But it never ends up that way. Yeah, and and ultimately, you just got to be where you want to be. You know, I mean, yeah. for me, Bend is
0: home, and that's, that's where you it's grew family. Up, right? Yeah, and that's like. That just trumps everything else, you know. And it's not all about triathlon either. I mean, right, you know, it's like where where does it make sense for my family to be and and uh where do I want to be long term as I pivot away from it as well, you know? So right.
1: yeah. Well, you're in a really interesting moment in your career. Yeah. Which I think is super interesting to explore. I mean, we we we've only met once, it was super briefly. It was out on the bike, yeah. like right in this neighborhood. <laughs> I think typical. it was like <laughs> we were trying to figure out when that was. It was like yeah. 2013. Yeah. I remember that, uh, I, rem- what I re- here's what I remember about okay, that. Okay, yeah, please. I remember I was riding by myself and I was riding up Rockstore, yep. which is just down the way here. It's like one of the you know more well-known yep. climbs. Iconic climbs. And yep. I'm just doing my thing. And then suddenly this freight train <laughs> <you> know, of <laughs> really? like 20 people just passes me like I'm standing still and I'm like, fucking what's going on here. Uh, and I realized it was Matt Dixon's yeah. uh, Purple Patch Fitness yeah. camp. Um, and then you guys were just gone. And then later on in the ride, I was like down in Westlake or whatever. And I spied, I spied you. And I think you were riding with Luke Bell. Luke Bell, I think. Day, and yeah. I caught up to you guys and we chatted a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I remember that. I
0: remember specifically, cause I had seen you, we had mutual friends, uh-huh. I think, or kind of through Stanford, Stanford right. swimming. And so I knew of you had, um, you know, heard of your book? I think at that point, I, mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what what had or had not been published by that time. But um, uh, so I recognized you when we. I think when we, even when we first went by, and I was like, I think that that was Rich Roll, uh-huh. but I didn't know for sure. And then when we saw you, it was pretty crazy actually that we saw you again. Yeah, later know, on on that because it, it was hours later. Right. It and was hours later. And I would have
1: figured cr- you got you must yeah. have taken a different route. Yeah. I don't know how and you weren't with the rest of the group at that point.
0: No, we had split up. I remember yeah. actually very specifically because that ride was the ride that Luke Bell and I just pretty much like pummeled each other on uh-huh. the next climb after we like on the way back from the from the uh ocean. Right. I can't remember what climb it was, but I just remember I was super psyched because I was riding next to Luke Bell, was, uh-huh. which was basically it. And I knew he was working hard, and I was working hard. And it was, and for me as like a young, you know, first or second year professional triathlete, that was like a highlight training moment uh-huh. for me that I was That's holding strong with Luke Bell. Yeah, exactly. Small, small cool. world.
1: Yeah, yeah. And since that moment, I mean, you've gone on. You've made a you know huge impression on the sport. Um, which I wanna talk Thanks. about. Um, but before we even track it back, like let's talk about what's going on right now because you're at this interesting intersection between um, professional athlete life and, you know, not retirement, but a different yeah. phase of what that looks like for you as, you know, a parent, as a husband, as a business owner, yeah. and as an athlete.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, after eight years of, of, um, you know, pedal to the metal, athletic pursuit while still doing those things that you just mentioned as well. I mean, I, th- I got married right before I started racing mm-hmm. triathlon. So I was married and then about four years, five years into it, we had our first kid. The whole time we've had a business that was going on as a side project, but really had taken on a life of its own. So this last eight years, it's been, I've been doing the business and the family thing under, to a certain extent, under, family's always kind of top priority, but you know what it's like. It's under the context mm-hmm. of, I'm trying to be a world-class professional triathlete. And that's like the, when I wake up, that's the main goal of the day is world-class professional triathlete. Mm-hmm. And then I'll do the other stuff as best as I can to, in, in that day. And I think after the last, after feeling, A couple things, Um, feeling like I had accomplished a lot of what I wanted to accomplish in the sport, you know, won some Ironmans and done, you know, raced fast and raced at a a really high level and felt like I had garnered the respect of a lot of the guys, which which meant a lot to me. Um, And then uh, feeling like I really pulled towards the, Problems and the the interesting like challenges of the business more so than like trying to win another race. You uh-huh. know, like all of a sudden there's like these challenges that are kind of you're like more interested in them. And then, but most importantly, it was the family piece. Yeah. This like, man, Jude, my son, who's five now, he'll be six in a couple months. I mean, his dad was like a grandpa. You know, that's that's how I right. that's how I talk about it to people because that whole time i was in the peak of my career and when i came home every day i was just smoked right. so it was like less time and the time is worse that you're spending with them and i just was like i just don't want to do that anymore like mm-hmm. i, I want to be able to go he's now capable of doing things i want to go do those things with them and enjoy it with them so it's a combination of those three things that i've you know feel like i'm starting to just pivot away pivot away from this being a world class professional triathlete, and I, I don't really like the, the word retirement, but like you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna the focus is different, right?
1: You know, it's a different yeah, phase, it's a
0: different phase, exactly.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, so a typical day in the life of a professional triathlete, I mean, you're training 25 30 hours a week, I would imagine. Yeah, when I think like
0: in the early years, I was, and then as the business and family thing came on, it was more like 15 for uh-huh. me, which is like you just said probably about half of what, a lot of
1: the guys that I was racing yeah, that's, against were. That's, that's a lot lower than a I A lot lower, though.
0: yeah. I mean, you know, I probably hit 20 a couple mm-hmm. times in the, in the big weeks, but, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, regardless, even if it's 20 hours or 15 hours, it's a lot of time. And that's, as we were talking about earlier, that's not, um, that doesn't include the extra time you need to sleep and all your physical yeah. therapy and all the to and from
1: and everything. So it's a lot. And the lack of energy that you have, yeah, when, you know, because you're just exhausted all yeah, the time, exactly. Um, but but what is unique about you is that you started this business, Picky Bars. When did you guys originate this? It
0: was 2010. 2010. Yeah, so about eight years, eight years ago.
1: And so as you make this segue, you actually have this like thriving, ongoing concern. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. well, it is. It's like you. I mean, I think it's super impre- Look, I think Thank it's you. super impressive for anybody to launch a business and make it successful. You know, I know a little bit about the food industry. Like I know how difficult and competitive it is. It's crazy. You're entering a market where there's a million competitors. Like there's a million reasons why, you know, this thing would have failed right out of the gate and you've made it successful while you're also this (laughs) world-class professional triathlete. Thanks. You know, but now that you have the energy and the bandwidth to, you know, shift your focus, you have something to be you know, the receptacle of that passion and that energy. Yeah. And I, When I kind of canvas, not just triathlon, but a lot of um, you know, world-class athletes across the board, especially in sports where you know, it's not a financial thing, like you're yeah. not making a ton of money, yeah. um, but it's so all-consuming. And then they, they hit that retirement point and they're like, well, I don't know what to do. You know, like, it's what hard. do I do now? I've never thought about it because my whole life and focus was about being the best athlete that I, that I could possibly yeah. be.
0: It's hard and I wish, you know, it'd be nice if I could say that, yeah, that was all part of my grand mm-hmm. plan, you know, but it's kind of just something that happened. And I feel, and I'm very lucky and fortunate that it's, that I do have this path, this really obvious, not only like just an obvious job, but like something that I'm legitimately passionate about and interested in, uh-huh. that, that is kind of the coolest part of it because i think you can go get a job and you can do it you could find a way to make a living but as you know from your you know from i mean from your life you know it, it so much of life's fulfillment is about pursuing things that you're passionate about mm-hmm. and that, that you're interested in and that's the thing that maybe i feel most excited about is that regardless of how big or successful or or whatever it it becomes in those terms it's it's interesting to me and um And it is very lucky. I mean, I I remember writing, I wrote an article about it for Triathlete Magazine uh, like four or five years ago when I was kind of halfway through my career. And I'd been in the career long, in my career long enough to have half the guys that I raced against retire. Uh And just seeing them, seeing the varying paths and you know, quote unquote success or personal fulfillment or whatever it is that you're looking at and making this realization like, man, how, how do you do this? If you've been doing this for 10 to 12, a lot of these guys longer than I have from yeah. a much younger age, it's a hard transition. You know, you have really clear goals, really, really clear, uh, you know, passion. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, what's next? And yeah. it's tough.
1: It's like an existential really crisis I it think, is. for a lot of people, and you see pro- a lot yeah. of people who, you know, then kind of struggle. You know, they, they end up partying too much, yeah. or they end up in you know jobs that they really like, and and you know, I think that not just triathlon but all sports could do a better job of you know creating uh, you know organizations or institutions to help athletes. Guide them through that process of transitioning from full-time athlete into civilian. I agree. I mean, you know, a
0: sport like triathlon has yeah. a long, you know, a long, long way to go before something like that exists. I think, but I totally agree. I would hope. I would hope some of the major sports have something like that. You know, because those those kids are even to a certain extent. Well, I guess maybe better and worse. You know, they, they pro- probably have made a lot more money, so maybe maybe it just doesn't matter. They can yeah. sit on well, it. Well, I but think some of the out of uh, like and NBA stuff. and
1: NFL have have like programs to help them learn yeah. how to manage their money and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah. um, which it's different mean, though. because most of those careers are way shorter, than super you think, short, you know and they're I mean? so young when
0: they're done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that you've talked about or, or written about um, and have opinions on is like. The unionization of athletes in, oh, yeah. in triathlon, yeah, um, which seems to me like a no-brainer and a long yeah. overdue idea, especially when the sport is so tiered that you know there's a very, very tiny percentage of people at the very top who are doing very well. Yeah, um, but you know, just poke just beneath the surface there, and it's like a real struggle it's really and for soft. anybody beneath that. Like I don't know how they survive at yeah. all. Yeah, the stats.
0: The the stats I've I've written articles of, or an article or two about this too the you know the when I kind of pulled when, when I had been in the sport long enough to know all the guys you know at least all the men and a lot of the women in the sport uh-huh. it was like hey if you look at Kona Kona's getting you know forty ish women and fifty to sixty guys and there's ten of those on each side that are making pretty good money. More so on the men's side. Mm-hmm. On the women's side, it's you could take all these numbers and probably divide like it by three half. Or four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's so there's this kind of top ten threshold. Then there's like another fifteen that are making a decent, you know, like a living. And then after that, the whole second half of even the Kona field is probably subsidizing money from a significant other or a government thing or they've or they're coaching on the side or whatever it is. And so it's really really steep. And that's, that's, that's like the top 50 60 men in the world and right. when, for
1: women it's even worse. These are the best yeah. Ironman distance athletes in exactly. the world. Exactly. And the sport's so expensive. There's so much it travel is. to all these fancy places and there's so much gear and yeah. know, I'm sure you know all those people get their gear given to them gratis by, you know, kind of ambassador deals, but there's this uh, mistaken belief that there's a lot of money going around. No, this is not the case. It's a really small. Yeah. It's a, you know,
0: it's an inherently small sport. You know, and and there's more mainstream money and advertisers coming into it. And I, and I certainly benefited during my time from you know the first race that I won in 2011 to last year 2018. A lot of money coming into the sport uh-huh. and like growth of the sport and that was you know beneficial to me from on the sponsorship side, but but yeah, it's tough. It's tough to make a living and and I think you know back to your original question, the the unionization of it, it it's one of those things, and it's not just triathlon. It's every it's every Olympic type sport where you have individuals right. as opposed to teams, mm-hmm. and there's and there's no there's no uh, league that is organizing how that how those people become pro, like right. legitimately pro. And what you end up having is all these athletes that spend all their time, all their energy, all their money for this these one or two performances in an Olympics or at a world championships or whatever it is. And um, the sport itself and the governing bodies of that sport benefit immensely, much more so from those moments than the athletes typically do themselves. Of course. You know, unless you're one of the transcendent athletes that really made it and you were on a Wheaties box or whatever and you're, you know, you're doing it. But there's so m- that that's so few.
1: And beyond that, in triathlon, it, you have an organization that's profiting wildly off just the participation. Yeah. You know, it's the one sport where uh, you know, the amateur is competing right alongside the pro. Yeah and it's an incredibly what you know the wtc is sitting upon on top of mountains of money right? yeah. that could be allocated in a much more equitable way presumably you know yeah
0: I, I i it it seems like that you know it's um i think that until until professional triathletes make it as abundantly clear as possible how you know, stake a claim in terms of how important or unimportant they are to the uh, production of the sport and to the soul of the Uh sport. It's gonna, it's hard for, you know, the business, the business isn't gonna react to it any other way than just do the best that they can for their for their business.
1: Yeah, and their response yeah. is, has sort of historically been like listen, you know, our our audience and our customer base is the amateur, not the pro. Yeah, like but you're that's, you're interchangeable.
0: That's kind of that, that that seems they're using the but they're using the pros a lot to help market the sport and you know like the NBC broadcast is uh-huh. heavily driven by the pro race. Although they do interweave a lot of yeah they, they do interweave a lot of inspirational stories in there you know yeah it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting deal ultimately if you if there's no organization that exists where if the pros don't organize themselves then you have no leverage i mean it's just like a basic business deal right. you know and that and that's ultimately what it comes to and until that until that coalesces it will be it'll be hard to enact a whole bunch of change particularly in triathlon where you do have strip away how fair or unfair or whatever you think WTC and Ironman is. The fact of it is, is that they hold a monopoly on the sport, which mm-hmm. is super unique to triathlon. The marathon, that doesn't exist in the marathon. It does exist a little bit in the Olympics with IOC and USATF. So you see a lot of the same problems, but um, but in triathlon, it's really specific there.
1: So are you optimistic that you think that there'll be some organization here?
0: I hope so. There it's one of those things where it's really tough it's it's um there's probably an economic way to describe the problem but the basic problem is the people that have the most influence have the least to gain uh-huh. right like just like we were talking about those guys the guys at the top they have the least to gain by unionization right. of the athletes um, and then the set and then the secondary problem is you have a constantly like replenishing, workforce if you wanna call it that versus the company itself is Mm. static, right? WTC is there, they have all, they know what they're doing. They've got their shit together. The athletes are new every three to five years. You have this arc where you don't even know what's going on. Then you know what's going on. Then like similar to me, you're like out of the sport. Yeah, you're kind of like, oh, well, what do I do now, you know? And so it's, and that happens every, that every wave, you know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with it you know there are some people that are working on it we we i was part of a of a pro triathlon board that ultimately failed like a lot of boards do because it was all volunteer led organization that just couldn't coalesce enough energy to mm-hmm. like organize to make meaningful change but there's some people that are that are working on it now so be well there was
1: one board at one moment uh that was organized around trying to have more parity in the women's field at Kona, right? Yeah, and I don't know. I th- that was a movement,
0: at least. Um, I'm forgetting the name of it right 40 now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Forty to Kona, right? For fifty to Kona, I can't remember oh, yeah. what, but but yeah, that. Um, and you know, I don't know what the the result of
1: that was. To be honest, right. it's, you know, yeah. So let's track it back. Yeah. Uh, you start off as this standout, um, track and field star, steeplechase. Uh, hardly a star. I don't know, <laughs> but, man, you end up at Stanford, okay. you set okay. the school record, right? Yeah, that's true, I, I did. I mean, come on.
0: I don't know, I guess I was running at that time, at that time, Stanford was so good. Uh, the the track and field team was so good that I honestly kind of felt like I was an underachiever mm-hmm. on, that, on that team and by, most accounts and measures, I probably was.
1: So this is the you kind of came in um, on the heels of like Ryan and Sarah Hall, right? Yeah, they were a little bit older than you.
0: No, I was older. Oh, than you're them. older than yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they they were, but I, I was in between this window of the uh, like I started in 1998, uh-huh. and so in '96 or '97, uh, Stanford won the cross country national right. championships, and then we had this run from like '98 to 2000 to to Ryan Hall through Ryan Hall, 2004, 2005, where we had um, lots of national championships, lots of individual national champions, guys going one, two, three in the 10K, mm-hmm. you know, and then even, and then maybe even more impressive than any of that is two to four men making the Olympic team. Right. I mean, as collegiates, you know, in, in various events. So it was, a crazy competitive. So I mean I won a Pac 10 championship. You know, uh-huh. I ran <laughs> I was eighth at NCAAs, which is pretty, I'm pretty very, good. which I'm very
1: proud you know, of. Yeah. yeah. In nc All America. Yeah, yeah, which I'm very holder. proud of,
0: but it, but it definitely was like um, you know, second fiddle for sure to those guys that were making the Olympic team.
1: Right. So yeah. so it wasn't like, okay, I'm going for the Olympics. I'm gonna this is gonna be my path to glory. I actually thought I did when I got eighth that year I was
0: twenty two and then I had um and then I went to USA's and actually did better. I was like eleventh or twelfth at mm-hmm. USA's so I was like I was like the fourth or fifth collegiate guy. And um So you're
1: in the game. You're I in was the in the
0: game. I was like, hey, if I pass nine more guys in two years, I'm on the Olympic team. And that's that was that felt possible within the realm of possibility to me. And then uh but then the the following uh Fall, I I got a stress fracture in my foot. I had a fifth year of eligibility in cross country, and got a stress fracture in my foot. And then, um, training for uh, trying to cross train, I was riding my bike a whole bunch, and I went over the handlebars of my bike and broke my neck. About like six or eight months later. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so and then that was that was basically the end. At that time, I kind of like the legitimate end uh-huh. of my athletic career. So. Yeah. And that was crazy. while you were, what, doing like co-term
1: at Stanford? Yeah,
0: I was doing right. a bachelor master's co-term. So I was kind of finishing up my master's degree um, and uh, had started working a little bit with this, with another with a group of guys that were gonna start a fuel cell company and, mm-hmm. we, but had, had literally just, I think a day or two before told their CEO like, hey, I'm probably not gonna do it. I'm, I think I'm gonna try to, Race bikes or do whatever. And then I went over my handlebars and was like, uh, actually, cool. I'll be, as soon as I'm
1: out of the hospital, I'll come join your guys'
0: startup. <laughs> yeah.
1: Enough <laughs> so, of that. Yeah. One crash and like I'm out. Yeah. Like, and, and just to kind of, you know, paint the picture of Stanford, you know, it, at this moment, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, this is entrepreneurship central. It's the internet is blowing up. Yeah. Everybody's founding startups. Yeah. And so you're like I'm I'm I I want in on this.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean for for better and for worse, you know, I think like I went through I had this this terrible accident and I went from kind of being a you know, national class athlete and building a whole bunch of my identity around an athlete to literally just not being able to do anything for uh-huh. months and months and months. I was on I was on my mom's uh I flew home after the surgery, a, a week or two after the surgery, and I was on my mom's couch, just twenty-four hours a day, and um, and then and so and so then I was like, "What am I going to do? You know, I can't, I can't race. I'm not. I can't even be physical. I may as well try to, you know, use my brain, right. I guess, and and be a part of this thing. And and
1: that's what ended up happening. Right. And yeah. so you do that for a couple of years. Like, how does that play out? Yeah, we
0: we were. Um, You know, like I like to say, we were like a lot of startups. um, A lot of the startups that you don't hear about,
1: (laughs) we Mm -hmm.
0: we raised a lot of money and made almost none. Uh You know, (laughs) yeah, no one tells that story. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We gave away all our equity. I've got lots of I've got lots of friends that went to Stanford that have been very very successful, uh and I was not one of those. Right. (laughs) And and and, uh, at least not with that. No, not with that. And. um, but we, uh, <clears throat> it's a great group of guys. I worked really hard. And I basically went the, you know, maybe maybe typically I went to the other end of the spectrum where I was, had been, I had been, I was serious about being an engineer at Stanford. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be, to be an engineer at Stanford. Yeah. You can't float through it. Um, but I was also running and running was the most, kind of the most important thing. And when I went, when I didn't have to run or didn't have to do anything um, athletically, I I went full gas into that startup. And then for better and for worse experienced what it was like to be full on engineer, product developer guy Mm -hmm. working 80 to a hundred hours a week in San Francisco in my mid twenties and sleeping at the office when I could sleep and uh, being, you know, treating my body terribly, you know, and um, just kind of seeing that other end of the spectrum. And there were a lot of, there were a lot of great times during that time too. It was just, it's kind of just like this interesting meandering of, you know, life and you kind of test. I think ultimately I was kind of like testing that extreme uh-huh. of the of myself, that extreme side of myself of like, if I just work, work, work all the time. Right, what does that look like? What does What's that, that look happen? like? Yeah, what does that feel like? Do I feel fulfilled from it? You know, cause there's, cause I, there's still like this, uh, you're striving for a goal, right? You've mm-hmm. got the big goals. It's just not the athletic goals anymore. It's like, there's this big business goal. Um, but ultimately that ended up feeling Wrong as
1: well. Did you have that self awareness though that okay, I'm testing myself in a different way now, no. or are you just, you're just 22? I'm just 22 and I'm you're just like, just I'm just going like, to do everything yeah. full on. Right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. and,
0: that, uh-huh. and that and that and you know, that's what you do when Classic, you're Classic, twi- yeah, you know, yeah, triathlon, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I'm going to work, I'm going to work 100 hours a week, right. and bad. um, you know, and that was and that was it. And then it was, um, you know, maybe I guess like not surprisingly, like reconnecting with Lauren, my now wife who was my kind of I like to say um on again off again but mostly off again uh-huh. <laughs> girlfriend in college were you guys in the same class uh, she was one year younger than me uh-huh. yeah and so we dated off and on at, at Stanford um, you know the story goes I broke up with her kind of multiple times for terrible reasons um, mostly just I think actually in all honesty just feeling insecure about how successful she was. It was a big part of it, how
1: successful of a runner she mm-hmm. was. So she was she ran five thousand meters, right? Yeah, that she was, was thing? Yeah,
0: she was a five K runner and um I mean you you could basically say the most successful Stanford you could almost say the most successful Stanford collegiate athlete of like any sport almost. I think she she won the most the most all Americans of any sport in Stanford school history. And yeah. A um, bunch of NCAA championships and and a really nice person, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. So, so, but but I think for me that I think that was hard seeing her f- have so much success and then me feeling like like I described, not like I wasn't really being as successful as I wanted to be, and um, you know being very much in love with her, um, but then also feeling down about myself because that was mm-hmm. who I was comparing myself to. Mm-hmm. So, and at the, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. That's a really tough mental check for this kid that comes from the small town, you know, ego and and everything in it, you know. Right.
1: And it, it you know, yeah. So, so anyway. do, do you think like it's interesting. Do you think like like were you intimidated by her or do you feel like there was some self-sabotage there? Like I think there was a little I think there was a little bit of self-sabotage
0: uh-huh. where um I think that's probably a good way to put it. Uh I think I was just becoming, trying to become comfortable with it, which, and it sounds so silly now, so many years later, but just trying to become comfortable with not being the best at whatever I was trying to do. Uh You know, and that was, like I said, I grew up in this little, in the little town, Central Oregon in Bend, and I was, you know, I was lucky. I, I was good at the number of things that I did. And, and, to not feel like You're I used was used to being like the best. Yeah, yeah, you know. kind of, you know. And that's mm-hmm. and it's so silly to think about that now that 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 mattered to me so much at that time. But it was but it was a um, you know I was young and that was that was my headspace in the at the time, uh-huh. and uh, and it took me a lot. It took me. I guess it took me ultimately becoming not that person that I was, where I was, where so much of my identity was wrapped around athletic success or even just success in general. To feel comfortable being with Lauren, mm-hmm. because I wasn't comparing my success or failure to hers,
1: right? And then throwing yourself into the startup culture and thinking yeah. like I need to distinguish myself in this world in the same way that I did on the track, yeah.
0: And then all but then and then ultimately, I guess like through that kind of bouncing from one extreme to the other extreme, understanding ultimately that my that my actual own happiness and fulfillment lies in in the middle Mm -hmm. and um and that uh that i do actually i do actually want to have both of these things in my life i do want to have a professional side and an athletic side and i want to i want to do the best that i can to balance those two and not feel like i'm so far into one that i'm completely neglecting the other and then Mm -hmm. that that ultimately set up you know, my path for what I ended up doing in triathlon and and everything else.
1: Yeah, so. well, it's interesting kind of being on the outside looking in on, on your life, which is, you know, look through the lens of what you choose to share on social media. Yeah, yeah, of course. Or write yeah. about, um, but the appearance is of somebody who is a family guy first, who happens to be this amazing athlete married to another amazing athlete that's also running this business. It's a complicated equation it is with a lot of moving pieces, but there appears to be like a healthy sense of balance and um understanding of what's most important in terms of priorities from the way in which you kind of share this experience with yeah. with the world of what it's like to be involved in all of these different things and 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 attempt to be you know successful and healthy at the same time.
0: yeah, I think that you know that's it's that's been a long work in progress over the last let's call it 15, 20 years. You know, I was, uh-huh. went, started Stanford 20 years ago and, um, navigating through these, uh, what you might call success or failure in, in certain areas, ultimately to find out, you know, Hey, what, what, the what do I, what do I ultimately care about? And like, what ultimately makes me happy? And then, and like you said, it's, it's, it's actually in the in the subtle balancing of those, of those few things. And um, the way, you know, a really easy or kind of dumb analogy to make it is, uh, to use is that, uh, you know, ultimately if you wanna be the best triathlete, you can't, you gotta be good at all three. Yeah. You gotta be good at swimming, biking, and running. And that's, that's, you can't be so good at one and then so bad at the others, is that's, that's not gonna be, uh, you know, that that's not gonna be competitive. And that's kind of the way that I feel like I've, I've, I've spent my life now the last, four to six years is really trying to be like, how can I be the best person for me that's balancing?
1: Like seven disciplines as opposed to
0: three. Well, yeah, whatever. yeah. I mean, I, I group them in with, mm-hmm. you know, family, sport, and business. You know, those are kind of the three things that are the the, the focal points for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and finding, the balance between those and and how it ebbs and flows through the year and through, uh, you know, cycles in your own life and things like that. But but yeah, it's been, it's been good.
1: I'm super proud to announce Yeah, I mean, I think there's this sense that if you want to be the best triathlete in the world, or maybe the best athlete in any discipline, the best way to do that is to you know live by yourself in right. cabin in the, cabin be the, in the monk, woods the and monks, just be a monk uh, and the just all you the, do is do your thing. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, Rocky. Uh, and, uh, but right if that was, that was true, then yeah. every gold medal winning athlete would be living that lifestyle. Yeah. Clearly, it's not true. Like I, I had this conversation with Kerry Walsh Jennings about yeah. this very thing. Like she's married and has kids and, you know, she will say that they're, look, it's been a, a, a bumpy road, yeah. but ultimately she believes that she's a better volleyball player long-term by having this robust yeah. life that on a surface level would look like a distraction from her being the best volleyball player that yeah. she can be. And, and I think I, I agree with that.
0: I, th- I would qualify it with just saying, you know, everybody's different and everybody mm. has their different capacity of, of, what their fulfillment where their fulfillment where their happiness like lies and how much they feel like they need to balance those things and um but ultimately yet yeah, probably for Carrie uh, is similar to me than that um if i if i get too if i get too far away from family or even from a the business then i i start to feel one dimensional i have less energy i ha- i i'm less fulfilled and ultimately because of that my training is sacrificed and my racing is sacrificed and um and the same thing goes with the other two as well you know if i if you know i'll be the first to say as a dad with two kids if i'm if I spend all day, every day with my kids, I am yeah. driving myself nuts, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? No, I'm and, sure it's and, and, like, look, you know, please yeah. go out and go running now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not a good person right. at the end of those few days, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not my best person, so.
1: Back to uh, the, the first, you know, startup, you're working 100 hours a week, yeah. at some point um, you realize like, hey, I need, I need this kind of fitness athletic, Competitive aspect of my life to return a little bit. Yeah, and it was it it was it was a little bit.
0: Yeah, what ended up happening was I ultimately just woke up. You know, when Dan was like, "Man," and it was presumably after a long night of hanging out with my friends and mm. drinking beer and whatever else. I just was like, "I feel terrible." You know, and I need to I need to start being active again. My neck had healed. I could I could run. I could ride a bike even a little bit. And um, and I just I just need to fi- reconnect with that side of myself. started doing that. I got interested in triathlon because I had swam a little bit as rehabilitation for my neck and um, and did a triathlon and then and in that first race, like just rediscovered this this little like Saturday morning community thing where everybody's out there at 7:30 in the morning and, it's not crazy competitive, but it's competitive enough, and you exercise really hard, and then the sun is up, and you're done at nine thirty, and you know you eat the the uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the right. at the end of the thing, and everybody's psyched. Yeah, yeah. And I just I had forgotten about that about that experience, and then that really got me back into it.
1: And, was it um, that thing where you win the first race that you ever entered probably typical yeah. yeah yeah it was it was definitely <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah so
0: i was going to skip that part but but uh-huh. yeah but it it was that you know i mean you know you come from an endurance background you got a lot of you know mm-hmm. you got a lot of background in that so um but it would but for me it was you know yeah there was validation that hey this is fun but it, but at that time it wasn't it was more just it's just fun being active uh-huh. you know and then it was uh, and then i then i actually that kind of made me think, started to make me re- rethink, rebalance my life and moving away from the startup, reconnecting, like I said, with Lauren. Lauren was moving to Eugene, so I went to business school there uh-huh. and kind of actually paused on the triathlon thing for a couple years because um, I didn't feel confident enough at that time in my life that I could do something as, um, as uh, irresponsible. I guess as trying to be a professional triathlete, does uh-huh. that make sense? It's yeah. like, oh man, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I gotta, I gotta be getting my MBA or well, whatever. It's, it's it took a little bit of time. That's
1: the burden yeah. of of privilege, you know. Yeah, it's like it you is. graduate from Stanford; it feels indulgent and irresponsible to like shirk that degree to like yeah. go pursue some you know weird thing that's probably not gonna be that lucrative. Yeah, that know? was
0: that was exactly it, and ultimately it was. Um, after I'd finished business school, um, Lauren was was racing professionally and um, I had gotten enough uh, kind of contacts through business school to do some consulting work where I could make some money on the side. In addition to the economy had just completely imploded. So there were like, you know, 100,000 MBAs had been laid off in the, uh-huh. Five months before, like I, before I graduated it, my, yeah, right. that was literally, yeah, summer uh-huh. of 2009 was when I graduated, when I got my MBA. And so I started consulting and then talked with Lauren and was like, hey, I think, you know, maybe I want to, I want to try seeing if I can be a professional athlete. I didn't even know what that meant. Uh-huh. And um, how many races had you done at this point? I had done just, I had done one, that one little season where I did the thing, you know, and then it was an age grouper and that was it. And so the, so what I ended up doing was, um, I spent the summer with Lauren, I was consulting and then through the winter, and then I signed up for Escape from Alcatraz the following year, 2010. And I went down there as an amateur and um, and I finished, Like sixth or seventh in the pro field as an amateur, had the fastest run, and that that was the first time where I was like, "Oh man, maybe you know, oh if I had been in the pro field, I would have won seven hundred (laughs) fifty dollars (laughs) today." You know, like like, wow, I really gets back to the
1: unionization (laughs) issue exactly.
0: (laughs) Like, um, but you know, but that was that was a felt like a taste of success, and then uh, that and that was like this little bit of validation that was like, okay, maybe I can continue to do this, and. that's what that was. A, it was after that that I got that I hired my coach and everything else uh-huh. and started. Got, got going.
1: was that Matt Dixon? Yeah, from,
0: from the, get-go? From the He's get always go, always been your coach. Yeah, Lindsay Corbin, uh, who you know mm-hmm. who's a very successful American pro. Um, she uh was a high school uh classmate of mine, and um, and then Matt Lieto. Oh, wow, you went to high, I didn't know that. You yeah, Lindsay together. and I went to high school. We were on the cross country mm-hmm. team together, so those were the two people that I knew in triathlon, and they mm-hmm. were both coached by Matt. Mm-hmm. and um and so i talked to matt i i really liked him we we clicked uh quickly and and then he started coaching me kind of at the end of that uh 2010 year and then it was, and then 2011 was where I, when I started my pro right. career.
1: And so there's this, you know, mythic story <laughs> about the birth of your professional right. career. Right. That I'm sure you've told a million times, but uh, yeah, but it is amazing, right? Yeah, so thanks. walk me through the yeah. whole wildflower thing. Um,
0: yeah, so, I mean, the story goes that uh, I went, I spent the whole winter training with, with a, a real coach and kind of was part of this team. And I went down to Galveston, actually 70.3 to race my first half Ironman. And at my first half Ironman as a pro, I uh, made every mistake you can make in the book. I did got down there, saw how flat the course was, decided that I needed to be more aerodynamic. Uh-huh. So I lowered my, the front Change end. seat <laughs>
1: position. I lowered the front. Oh, you my, just slammed it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just
0: brought it down. Uh, was the last person out of the water? Biked out, biked back as hard as I could. Was making up time, but basically my whole back and my like my glutes, like everything seized up on the end of the bike. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually literally riding out of the saddle for for the last like three or four <laughs> miles of the bike ride, um, and then ultimately it dropped out because I was I was hurting so bad on the run, and so was super disappointed. You know, kind of had these aspirations of this is my debut. I want to go do this and. Um, didn't really know what to do next, but it turned out that Matt, um, the guy I mentioned, Matt Lieto, was going to head down for Wildflower just two weeks later, uh-huh. and he basically was like, "You should come down to Wildflower with me," mostly because he knew I would be in Ben and I would drive with him, so he would have somebody that could right. drive half the half the way. Um, and uh, I head down there, and um, on the way, uh, just the day before we left. The other piece of the story is my, I was out on my last training ride and my bike, I went through a pothole and my bike broke. Uh-huh. And so the carbon actually right. cracked. And so in a last minute deal, I got a, I got a friend's bike, threw it in the van, borrowed um, a bunch of, you know, stuff from Matt. I'd never worn an Arrow helmet before, didn't have a wetsuit, had this kind of hand-me-down, unbranded triathlon race kit. And then these, um, you know gas station aviators right <laughs> that was um that I was wearing and and
1: little, then
0: little did you know yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, as the story goes, uh you know um, I swam pretty poorly like I normally do, I had a decent ride and rode up into about uh tenth place. And
1: then and it's a really challenging cycling yeah, course, very, very slow,
0: early. very challenging, which was really good for me because it just meant another 20 minutes on the bike mm-hmm. to try to catch up from the swim, and then the run is about as a hard of a half Ironman run as you get, and so the run is also let's say 10 minutes long. So you have three, you have 30 more minutes of doing the stuff that I'm good at mm-hmm. in the race than a normal race, and um, and The run was this, like, I still remember it very vividly. It was like, I get off the bike and I hear as I'm leaving, as I'm starting the run, I'm in 10th place. I was like, oh my God, I'm in 10th place at Wildflower. Like I'm super, this is really exciting. And I start passing people just bit by bit, you know, eighth, ninth or eighth, seventh, sixth. Uh, I remember seeing Jordan Rapp in fourth place, a few hundred meters in front of me being like, wow, that's fourth place and that's Jordan Rapp. and. Um, I can't believe I'm having this great race. And then I get all the way through and I move into second place with a mile and a half to go. And I can see the guy in, uh-huh. in, in the lead. Um, you know, he's still a long ways up, but he's hurting. And people, as I'm running along, they're like, uh, I actually remember Tim Carlson, who works for Slow Twitch, yeah, he was yeah, yeah. taking pictures of me. And he kept coming back and he was like, Who are you? Who are you? <laughs> What's your did? name? Because <laughs> you get lost like you're like <laughs> he, he's trying to like text uh-huh. the race organizers to because they, to let them know because they don't know who I am. I passed the guy right at the beginning of the, the steep downhill towards the with about less than a mile to who go. Who was leading? It was uh, Clayton Fattel uh-huh. out of Australia, uh super strong uh, swim biker and um, who had this massive gap. And uh, I got a, and I, I came down and I just, I remember I crossed the finish line and they, the announcer goes, um, and here he is, our men's champion. And then he holds a microphone away from his face and he's like, dude, what's your name? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, the reason they didn't, they literally didn't know who I was is because I had signed up so late, they'd given me a number that was like, after the women's numbers, because they were kind of uh, out in numbers
1: and it just didn't, find it you didn't on get the it. Or didn't whatever. get yeah, entered into the system. So uh-huh. So for yeah. people that are listening, I mean, Wildflower is this legendary race, been going yeah. on forever, and it's it's quite an event. You go, you can't you camp. Most people stay in tents or RVs or a yeah. hotel or anything like that. Super challenging course, but but a really prestigious like yeah. early season race. Uh, and to go from anonymity to winning that race, it's just like that doesn't happen like so suddenly overnight, you're like this like, who is this guy? like you're the next greatest thing
0: well, yeah, it was it was kind of.
1: Yeah, it was an and interesting. And it was the whole story, sorry yeah. to interrupt, it's the whole story of like, you borrowed the bike, yeah. it's like this guy doesn't even have his own bike and he's wearing like <laughs> <a> gas station. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> triathletes are the most geeked out in yeah. terms of their gear and the sunglasses, yeah. they're wearing, I mean, it's Getting ridiculous, the whole thing's ridiculous. It is totally ridiculous. Um, but the idea that somebody would be wearing like, aviators from a gas station is just yeah. like, that doesn't compute yeah. like at all.
0: Yeah, it it was it was bizarre. And then I think the thing that, Kind of like sealed it. That ended up, you know, going viral within the sense of going viral within the triathlon community, which is not right. really viral, like but 10 people. yeah, it's like 10, yeah. 10 or twelve people shared it. Was this 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 finish line interview that I had where I was just freaking out about, um, you know, oh my god. My buddy's gonna shit his—he's gonna shit his pants when he finds uh, out I won Wildflower, uh-huh. and Nick, who let me borrow his bike, you know. And so there was kind of there, there was this legitimate like authenticity about it, which was legitimately there. That it was kind of like a cool. Yeah, it's like an
1: inno, there's an innocence. Yeah, there
0: was it, an innocence yeah. to it, and and uh, people latched onto that, and that was really awesome. And um, it, it there was no better way for me to come onto the scene than uh-huh. that thing, and and then ultimately uh that race then ultimately ended up meaning even so much more to me down the road. Um, but that but that really launched my career and gave me the the tools, the foundation necessary to actually make a living in the sport because of the story uh-huh. more so than the actual wins. Right. You know, and right, that, right, that right. Like, back to what we were a little bit what we were talking about is like, you know, making it making yourself uh you know a, 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 an actual like somebody that people want to follow right. regardless of you know they won X race or whatever. Well
1: that's that's a yeah. new thing in the development. That was that of it just was just started. Yeah. Like what is your story and how are yeah. you telling it yeah. is is almost as important as you know your race results. You could argue in the
0: Instagram influencer age more that we're in it's yeah. more important. And mm-hmm. then actually from a I'll tell you from a business side you know, that it probably is, yeah. you know, in terms of businesses looking to spend money on, you know, advertising basically. Well, certainly yeah, it's, it's incumbent
1: upon every pro athlete to think yeah. of themselves as as a business. A marketing and tool. Yeah, and yeah. how are they, you know, how are they sharing their story? How are they telling it? What is it that they have to offer that somebody yeah. else doesn't and taking that seriously, like shouldering that responsibility. And, yeah. you know, we've talked in the past, I mean, this is something that I think that you've done, um, very well but not in a like some kind of contrived sense it's like Thanks. a natural outgrowth of who yeah. you are like I feel like you and Lauren together are natural storytellers. Like, yeah, thank you. You're very funny, and like how you <laughs> you share like like the thing that's on your Twitter now that like about the carb sticker, right. and then like you know Jude <laughs> right. gets in the car and drives up. Like <laughs> right. it's like like this is just this clearly right. this is like your it's sensibility. Fun. You know, yeah. it's fun and it's yeah. very authentic to who you are. Thanks. It's natural. Yeah. Um. But when I look at that and I kind of like okay, I'm deconstructing this. I'm like he's like really good at at like sharing something that allows people who are interested in what you're doing to like emotionally connect with yeah. what you're, what you're up to. Wow.
0: Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And uh, you know, that's, I always, way before I ever got into racing or doing any of the stuff that I'm doing now, my, um, my family, I'll, I'll tribute attribute that to my dad, my dad's side of the family. My dad was just a and his whole family are just storytellers. Uh-huh. And, you know, kind of like gather around the fire or around the dinner table, just telling bullshit stories about, you know, them growing up and, and stuff like that. And I always, those are some of my favorite memories, uh-huh. just having my dad and kind of my dad and my dad's brothers kind of go around the horn telling stories. And I grew up listening to stories like that and then retelling them myself. And um, and then, so I I, I get a lot of joy, legitimate joy out of telling mm-hmm. those stories, making them funny, making them entertaining, also making them, also, you know, telling the truth, I think. And um, talking about the, you know, being honest when I, when I have a, not just a shitty race, but like a heartbreaking race yeah. after training, you know, for a year for something. And, um, and to a certain extent that uh, that experience of telling those stories, I, I think has, has made the sport for me, not only more interesting, but more sustainable, yeah. uh, both as a person and as a professional. And um, so it's, it's been a really lucky and great discovery to go through, I think.
1: Well, when you're a storyteller, uh, it takes it it takes the you're able to take those low moments and yeah. just translate them yeah. into something else that's valuable, right? It, like everything's a story. So I have a shitty race. Well, what can I make out of this that I can share with other people? Like I know you were you are you still writing the column for Magazine. Try- I'm anything? not anymore, you yeah. You did yeah. for years yeah, yeah. though, where you would do that yeah. very thing.
0: Yeah. And and in a lot of ways the um the tough, you know, the stories, the the unsuccessful quote quote unquote stories are more interesting and more power mm-hmm. powerful to most people. Yeah, because they yeah. can connect with the yeah. your humanity. Exactly, you it is, I mean? and they're and they're harder to write, but they're but then they're more
1: fulfilling too when you pu- when you put them uh. out there. So yeah, it's interesting. So, you go on to dominate Wildflower for the better part <laughs> of a decade. You won that race like six times, right? Yeah. Um, thank you. That becomes like your thing. Yeah. Uh, and then this whole uh, aviator shades thing becomes <laughs> like a thing. You know, everyone's so out weird. wearing aviators all of a sudden. And for years, you were still wearing like the shitty yeah. gas station versions. For sure, because I lose them all the time. Um, yeah. But then, like, Enterstage left Roca. Yeah. Stanford guys, yeah. Stanford swimmers. Yeah. Um. I go way back with those guys too. I mean, I'm much older than them, but I remember the very early days when they launched this company and uh, it was just, you know, it's the classic, you know, out of our garage kind of thing with one wetsuit. And now they've built it into this brand that's quickly, you know, becoming, you know, it's on the, it's like they're slowly broadening the aperture of this thing to become a lifestyle brand to transcend triathlon, to become like an Under Armour sized kind of thing. Um, but you've been collaborating with them from the very early days. So talk about that relationship yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's been,
0: it it's really funny. The That relationship goes back, like you said, to the Stanford connection. I had a friend of mine introduce me via email to Rob and Kurt, who are the co-founders mm-hmm. of Roca. And um, he said, hey, these guys are starting a wetsuit company and they wanna try to make you faster, which to me was amazing because I was like right. terrible Swim's swimmer thing. yeah and so no but no swimming company is they're literally paying me to not wear their wetsuits mm-hmm. right and so um for these guys to come to me and be like we want to build a wetsuit for 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 the average swimmer which is you try to make you faster that was interesting we started working together they were just two of the most uh I don't know, brilliant and hardworking and simultaneously uh-huh. hardworking people I'd ever met.
1: Well, Rob was like a, a working in a law firm as a lawyer, yeah, like, throughout most of this development, yeah, right, in like the early days of the company
0: and they're 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 both, yeah, he was. and he was uh, you know just working his ass off, you know, has been for probably his entire life, uh-huh. you know rob and uh, and then Kurt's like incredibly creatively talented. so like the two of these guys. You get Rob's kind of like efficiency. He's like one of the most efficient pers- people I know in terms of his output. And then and then uh, Kurt, who's one of the most creative people I know. Mm. You get them together, and just like it was a great Explosive, match. Yeah. yeah, And they um, we started working on this wetsuit. The wetsuit was phenomenal. We you know we launched it. I was kind of their first athlete, and uh, and um, kind of part of the original kind of barely formation of the company. And then uh, and then because I was wearing this these aviators thing, I remember on a long drive back from a race, I was talking to Rob and I was like, you know, I would I would really like to, I think there's something to making an actual aviator that has that's has performance mm-hmm. characteristics in it, like something that you could wear casually, but that you could wear that, that you feel comfortable wearing casually, but that you would wear as uh, that you could legitimately wear running or cycling. And um, they they were like they were intrigued with the idea too, but it was kind of like, hey, we got wetsuits, you know, uh-huh. we're gonna work on Let's this, focus and, on yeah, there. and so. But then it was a couple, few years later when they started to grow, and um, Rob uh, raised some money, and he was like, I think we're gonna look at glasses. Are you interested? And we. Started talking about it and started making the making an actual uh-huh. aviator, which is <laughs> you can nuts be like, think about now. It's can you so believe nuts? that no, we're actually doing this? it's insane. It's so, it's we're so, going to convince
1: all these people to wear so aviator insane. shades when they when they go yeah. running,
0: and then <laughs> we, it's so insane. <laughs> I, I mean, really, it is, but but it's it's kind of awesome, uh-huh. you know. Like it, it's probably uh, it's something that I'm very that I'm very proud of, you know. And then the, and then the, the the cool kind of story of the original Roca performance aviator, Phantom is what it's called. The, um, is that Kurt literally had the first prototype shipped directly to me uh-huh. from Japan <laughs> to Lanzarote, to uh-huh. Ironman Lanzarote in the Canary Islands in 2016. And I got them as I was leaving for, to check in my Ironman bag. I tried them on. They fit great. I moved my face around. They didn't fall off. I was like, they looked this awesome. This is better than the garage store. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm garage like, okay, I'm station. doing it. Throw it uh-huh. into my tra- into my transition bag. The next day I swim, bike. I'm in like sixth or eighth place. I get I go to in, get into my transition bag, put on my shoes, and I put on my Roka Aviators, and I and I ran down <laughs> I ran down Jan Ferdano, uh-huh. who's one of the best triathletes right. ever, and won that race. And you know. I will always qualify that with saying it was kind of a training race for Jan. I'm not equating myself to Jan, but it was a great race for me. One of my best moments ever, and I won this big Ironman against a a strong field. You know, literally running my first 26 Uh miles ever in those
1: in those shades. So it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And then uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people later, everyone suddenly (laughs) the next day, everybody. uh, Yeah, there (laughs) are. It's like you have created this fashion. You know movement it's these people.
0: Something I never yeah. in a million years would have <laughs> ever funny. thought. As a yeah. guy that, you know, Lauren gives me shit as the guy that was still wearing uh, you know, pleated jeans all through uh-huh. all through college. Yeah, the irony and, that yeah, you'd be <laughs> that I that right. I'd have a fashion statement. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: but no, it's good. And uh and still working with those guys today, right? Yeah, like, definitely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've been great. They just that that, you know, and not to overplug the glasses, but they just got a big um, PR shout out from Popular Mechanics as like the I best that, running yeah. sunglasses. So I, it's just it's like you said when I, if I take a step back and I'm like seven or eight years ago to think of like I just never would have thought that that would happen.
1: Well, yeah, but, that's it, not but it's not ending very cool. up on the whiteboard. No, yeah, you know? that's yeah, it's so. it's cool.
0: So I, I'm very I'm very very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and very and very happy and proud of those guys. I mean, really, they did all the work, you know. Right. So. Right.
1: Yeah. So you had all these wins, you know, Lanzarote and and Wildflower. You had an incredible race at at Roth last yeah. year. You were third, or yeah, like third. third there. You yeah. ran like a two forty four yeah. some crazy yeah, marathon, like yeah. that's like insanely yeah. fast. Thank you. Um, and you know, I look at your race results and I follow you on Strava and like I see these run workouts that you do. And I just, I can't even fathom being able to run that fast. Right. It's like so amazing. Um, And yet in the context of triathlon, it's like, it's all about Kona, right? Everything's about Kona. Kona. If you're not winning Kona, no one knows who you are, you know, are you relevant or whatever. And I think it's, you know, I'm interested in your perspective on how all that works. It kind of goes back to what we're saying before, like there's this very, very like thin top tier, you know, level of people who are winning Kona. And then there's like, and then there's like, just below that there's guys like you who are just incredible at what they do. And yet, because it's all about Kona, there's this sense of like um, being an also-ran or something like that. Yeah, it is. It's a really hard, I didn't realize, I didn't
0: understand the kind of Kona-centric mindset of triathlon when I got into it. Cause I, to be, I'm one of those rare guys that got into racing professional triathlon Mm -hmm. who didn't know shit about triathlon until I was 30. You know, I didn't. It was it just wasn't on the radar for me athletically, and so um, I didn't know about the history of Kona. I didn't know about the history of Ironman or anything like that. And um, when I went to Kona the first year to spectate, I was like, "Wow, this is really this is a pretty big deal." And then, really, when you start to learn about it through the professional side of the sport and understanding where all the bonuses are for sponsorships and all the incentives are are. They're all built around a Mm Kona-centric model. Like that's where you can get paid. Um, Everything else is kind of, like you said, like an also-ran kind of lead up Mm -hmm. to Kona. Most of the sponsors want you to be in Kona. Um, And to break even on Kona as an athlete, you have to get top 10. I mean, no doubt. Even even the way that they have it right now, seventh, eighth, ninth, you're probably pretty close. I, I can't remember exactly what the prize money is, but it's in the low yeah. thousands of dollars. And it's so expensive to get over there. And, That's you know, j- just on the trip itself, crazy. much less the whole year, right, going mm-hmm. into it. And then, so so then, you know, and you're not getting bonuses for top 10 at Kona, you're getting bonuses for top three to five tops. And right? the
1: opportunity cost of yeah. not racing elsewhere because all your eggs are in that basket. So it's it's really hard. So, I mean, so
0: for better and for worse, as a business guy, in the first two or three years of my career i was like man unless i think i can win kona which to be honest right off the bat i'm like i can't win kona that's you know it exposes all my weaknesses as an athlete the heat the the swim the swim is a bigger deal it's it's a grouped up bike ride there's there's not as much chance for me to make up time so i i can't win kona unless i think i can win kona i better not make kona the focus of my career because it's going to be i'm not going to first of all, I won't be happy. And second of all, I'm not gonna make any money doing that. Like you can't, you put right. all your eggs in that basket, it's not gonna pay out. And so for, you know, for better and for worse, I steered away from that for a long time. Until about I even wrote one of my most popular articles was I'm not an Iron Man and that's okay. Right. I remember right? That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um and that really resonated like with people. Having to apologize yeah, for it. Exactly. Right? That really resonated with people. And then and ultimately the reason I wanted to do Kona was not because of the financial implications of it or anything like that. It was just it was really just like I just felt like if I, hadn't go, if I had gone through eight to 10 years of being a professional triathlete and I hadn't done Kona, I would have regretted it, yeah. you know, even though I knew it wasn't gonna be a great race for me. And, um, but I, and, but I could still try to do the best I could there. And that was what I tried to do. Um, but, but yeah, but I, it was always really important for me to make my career about other challenges, um, both externally and internally. You know, to um, to feel more fulfilled and more, I guess, more more balanced, and just pursuing things that I was that I was interested in. Right? Yeah.
1: Well, let's talk about uh, the training and and you know what it's like working underneath underneath Matt. Yeah. I guess first of all, like, what is it that you've gleaned, you know, the most from working with, you know, such a legendary coach. Yeah, about I think- How the, to train for these things.
0: I think Matt's, um, what I like about Matt, you know, and I'll qualify this by saying, you know, Matt, for better and for, and, and, and for worse, has been my coach my whole career, right? So I haven't uh-huh. experienced really anybody else. But I think the thing that it clicked with, with Matt was that he, even when I started triathlon, I had picky bars as a business. I was already like less of a focused, full gas professional triathlete. I still had this other thing and mm-hmm. I was married. So he knew right away, I wasn't gonna be training 30 to 40 hours a week, living the Rocky monk yeah. style. And he got that and he understood that. And he's like, I think we, can, I think you can be a good, a better athlete even because of this balance that you, But it, but it's gonna take a different training philosophy, a training philosophy that doesn't put, all the value on tons of time training. It puts it on this kind of balanced physiological stress throughout the various aspects of your life mm-hmm. and balancing heavy training load with light life load, heavy life load with light training load. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was like the fundamental thing that I liked about Matt. And then as I progressed through my career and ultimately became more successful, both in racing and on the business side and and more demands with family, that interweaving and interbalance just became more and more so important because it was like, everything was just operating now at a higher level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so and I think that, and I think if, you know, if I could differentiate Matt from other coaches in the space, I think that's really his his sweet spot is um coaching like he says himself the time starved athletes, uh-huh. you know, guys that are executives or family right. guys or whatever that are trying to that are still have goals. They're still trying to do something great. Maybe they're trying to qualify for Kona or do or do whatever it is, but they're balancing it with legitimate demands on their time and energy elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is basically almost everybody. Yeah you know, it is. Almost, I mean it really very totally. few who are just completely yeah. turning their entire exactly. life over to this thing. Yeah. So, so a training block for you, I mean, what would that typically look like in terms of the balance between, you know, the kind of uh, zone two aerobic work versus, you know, intensity, tempo type training? Like, what is that that combination generally? Um, It is, uh, let's see,
0: I'll tell you what, it's like, it's really, Go by feel, <laughs> and uh particularly the last like three to four years, and the or I guess athletes hate here. I know. I know they want to they know, know this like is exactly what 60% you do. Zone two, and you're going to use these devices. Thirty three percent zone three. <laughs> it's not uh-huh. that, guys. I'm sorry. That's just not. um You know what it ends up being is a couple few hard days a week, a couple few easy days a week and mixing in some volume and, but so much of it is, is based on how I feel, mm-hmm. you know? And that, that really is to me the crux of, I think being successful in any athletic endeavor, um, but also the crux of the, of the success of the relationship between Matt and I is his confidence in me to make my own decisions day to day to manipulate his plan, uh-huh. and then my confidence in him to build a plan that is manipulatable, and that 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 ultimately I can uh, you know communicate back to him this is what works and what doesn't.
1: So, and, yeah. in other words, he doesn't just say, "Here's your twelve workouts for the week, and you do them when I say you do them." It's more like make sure you get you hit these kind of general areas or benchmarks yeah. and however you can work that into what your schedule looks like for the week, you're like, that's up to you.
0: That's pretty, that's a lot. That That's what you described at first was how it started. Uh-huh. And then really over the last like three or four years as picky bars really grew, I had my first kid and then my second kid, it was more like, here's kind of, here's what I w- would like you to achieve and then I'd look at my schedule and I'd be like, well, I've got this meeting on whatever and I and I'm traveling right. this day. So I'm going to do Wednesday's workout on Tuesday and I'm going to make, make my easy day whatever. And then if I feel like shit on Tuesday, then I'm going to just do that one I'm going to scrap it or but or if I feel good, I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to gas it. And that's that's ultimately what it's
1: become. Now, I think the ability to really go on on feel as you say comes with experience yeah. you have a tremendous amount of experience so you have like you know years of kind yeah. of understanding what that means um mixed with uh um you know having done enough work to understand the nuance of that right like yeah. like when when am i being being a puss yeah. you know and when when do I, when am i really like Butting up against, like maybe putting in too much training, you know, like those things only come with like years and years and years of having done this.
0: Yeah, it's it's totally true, you know. So it's not. I wish there was a like an easily more easily like gleamable or understandable like tidbit I could give to you know listeners trying to try try to trying to find that line, but um, it does come from experience. But I would say that the way that I would qualify that is that most endurance athletes competitive endurance athletes or aspirational endurance athletes have a, have a bigger problem with knowing when to pull back than when to push forward uh-huh. and at least that's that's been my experience with the many many age groupers that I've interacted with and done articles with and talked to and whatever else so a lot of it is the the biggest thing i think as an as an athlete for most people is having the confidence to pull back uh-huh. when things aren't going right and not burying It's a different yourself. kind of discipline, yeah. but it is still a discipline. It is,
1: it definitely is. And I think what happens with the more time crunched, you know, among us is they have a set amount of time And they feel like they have to. The only way that they're really maximizing that is if they just Just go full blown. (laughs) So, (laughs) so even if they only have forty five minutes, you know, every every day or something like that, you can't gas it out like that every day. You're going to have a problem. You're going to get injured. Absolutely. So it's just not the way to go. Yeah. Um, What are some of the other? I love asking pro triathletes. Yeah. Like (laughs) what? What are some of the other things that you see? Like the typical amateur triathletes or multi-sport athletes out there doing where you're like, what are they doing?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the most typical thing is is related to what we just talked about, but it's basically just not taking your easy days easy,
1: uh-huh.
0: right, that's the, that's the number one problem in amateur triathlon nowadays. People go out, they do their hard workouts great, that's hard, your gas from that, but then they go out riding with their buddies, and somebody's going after a Strava segment right, or Strava, whatever. I had the Strava <laughs> guys in here the other day, she, and I was yeah. like,
1: "Listen, I had to like get off the platform <laughs> yeah. because of that." You know, they've for a ruined.
0: While. They've ruined that you can't thing, hard go. Day, yeah, you can't go
1: easy. You it is, and so that's
0: <laughs> so that that's problem number one. You know, um, and and then and and then I think more generally, it's like uh, it's. Finding, you know, just an appropriate amount of building an appropriate amount of recovery in general, such that you're that the the load of each week isn't building on itself to where you then get to the end of week eight and you're just smoked. Uh There's and you you can't recover in time for your race. Yeah, and and so I think
1: I think those are the two. Yeah, those are those are the two main things that well, people do. Pe- finding some way to periodize what you're doing. Yeah. Even exactly. if you can't do it as scientifically as the way like Matt and you would do it for your that,
0: I mean, you know, and that's where I think so much of it comes back to feel, you know, 'cause you because there are so many other things at play. Like your 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 training plan is only perfect on the day that you make it. You know, uh-huh. and then there are all these other variables that come in, like oh, my kid kept me up last night, or you know, I had this really stressful uh, phone call with a supplier, whatever it is, and um, that those things affect you, you know. And so if you don't if you don't listen to the listen to those things and listen to your body, then. Um, Ultimately, you're just kind of like plowing
1: through on this thing that doesn't make right. any more sense. Yeah. When you're rigidly holding on to that yeah. training routine, you and know, that's come usually, hell or high water, you're going to have like an emotional problem too. And that's usually an ego
0: thing. You're doing that because you feel like you're being weak by letting go of the or the plan. you're so
1: afraid. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah, yeah. Like, afraid I'm not yeah. going to be able to finish this race unless right. I do exactly I do it. you know, yeah, according totally. to this plan. Yeah. It's hard and all that kind of stuff. How do you? What's your relationship with all the the devices and the you know, like, <laughs> like well, you know self optimization I mean, movement?
0: So, as much as you know, uh, I am a go by feel one hundred percent person, but I'm I'm also an engineer. You're an engineer, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I can I you know I like geeking out on the data, um, but what data ends up being for me is like a kind of like this post workout catharsis thing more than it is like a gotta hit this or else my workout is a failure type of thing. I like to go back. I mean, I, I love Strava, you know, Mm -hmm. I love Zwift. I love, I have a power meter on my stuff. I, I track my heart rate and my, and my
1: pace most of the time. Um, a lot do you of times, other I'm, crazy programs like Golden Cheetah and all that kind of stuff. No, just, I, don't, I don't, I don't know, know that, that one. Like, oh, man. <laughs> no, no, you, yeah, you gotta, it's I, I, like, are there not,
0: there's more levels. I, I, I mean, need to get the into. graphs are only, are only a mechanical engineer <laughs> yeah. could understand
1: that, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's funny, no. Um, but I do, I mean, I do like that stuff, you know. I'll go out, I'll do Strava, you know. I'll, I, what I'll do now, I mean, I'll integrate Strava into my workout if I have some. You know, thing where I'm doing three times twelve minutes, man. I go find a twelve minute segment and yeah. try to get the get my fastest time or get a kom up that thing because what better motivation on your twelve minute segment than having right. something like that, you know? So, um, so yeah, usually try to use that stuff. You know,
1: try not to be pay too much attention to it, but but definitely using it. I would suspect though that somebody with your engineering background and somebody who's so connected to your own. You know, physical body and the experience that you've had, that you can be wearing, you could have the power meter and the heart rate, mon- all that kind of stuff. But when you're out doing intervals, you know, if I was to say to you after each repeat, like, you know, what was your what was your power on that, yeah. you probably tell me without looking, like you would yeah. know within. A degree. Been you know. enough there. So yeah. at some point that's like with that experience, the feel comes in because you're so connected. Like you know what your heart rate is, you know what you're putting what you're throwing down and you can gauge that more accurately. I think so. And 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 as importantly,
0: it's it's like if the prescription for the workout is 350 watts or whatever, um, for whatever interval, and I get out of that first or second interval and 350 watts just isn't happening, then it's then it's just I just change the prescription. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing. Like I might be looking at the power meter, but it's not like Yeah, it's gonna do it until you finally get yeah, those it's, watts. That's that's not it. You uh-huh. know, that's the thing. I mean, but then there might be days where three hundred and fifty watts is the prescription, but hey, I feel good at four hundred, so just keep it going. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And and that and that that's the that's the flip side of it. What's um, the
1: recovery routine for you?
0: Um nowadays it's um you know, fuel first, obviously eating, eating healthy. And then um, spending time, spending as much time as I can with my kids. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the main thing. There's not, to me, nothing is better than um, watching a movie with my like five-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. watching some cartoon reliving. We wa- we watched Aladdin the other day, uh-huh. which, which was like right in the prime for me in terms of, I probably watched that 50 times when I was growing up. Not 50 times, but a lot. A lot that 30 years later, I still remembered a lot of the lines, which is crazy. I, I could right. not believe it while I was watching it, how many of the lines I knew were coming before uh-huh. they, they said it. So that, that I don't know, that's that's recovery. How old is your daughter now? Daughter's one and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she's she's great. She's, she's super, super fun. It, it's been, it's actually been a, a very different relationship with her. I think partially because she's a girl, but more importantly, um, because I'm more present with her than I was with my kid when he was that age, you know? Zadie was born five days before Kona, my second Kona, Uh which was brutal. Then I left for Kona, came back. And then, um, but then since then, you know, I've been a much, I've had much more time with her than I did with Jude. Yeah. During that stage so it's been so the connection is is different yeah. you know it feels a little bit deeper in a in a weird way, but my connection with Judah is fantastic but it's just a little bit different
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, but there's some there's something special about girl dads and girls you know,
0: I think there there girls, must be you know? right I mean, yeah, yeah I mean yeah, yeah. yeah you know
1: yeah. yeah there must
0: be like um yeah it's a little bit different mm-hmm. there is like a more naturally you know Protective and supportive right. vibe there, as opposed to kind of, you know, getting the the little guy to like cut his, you know, cut his cut his chops or whatever. And, yeah, I mean, you know, there's like a,
1: there's there's a sweetness and I don't yeah, there them, is. You know. Yeah, there really mm-hmm. is. It's yeah,
0: yeah. She she lights me up.
1: She's she's amazing. So let's talk about nutrition a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, of course, because it also like dovetails into yeah. picky bars and what you're doing. Yeah, um, we're in the midst of this like. Low carb. Keto <laughs> I was going to bring you a shirt right I, now. I, I for, and I forgot. It. The, the I love carbs. I know. Shirt. I, I meant to. Br- I, I will say, you got to mail I'm, that to me.
0: I'm going to mail <laughs> you one because I, I spaced yeah. on it right as I was leaving. And I, when I got on the plane, I was like, oh crap, yeah. I forgot Rich's shirt. So, so talk yeah. me
1: through like your
0: perspective on all of this. Well, I mean, I, you know, so my wife, Lauren, is the she's really the the Nutritional foundation of our company. She comes from a human biology background, uh-huh. Stanford educated, long time pro athlete, right? And I'm more of like the business, you know, business marketing guy. Um, but um, but so but our our general philosophy as a, as a family is just healthy, sustainable balance, you know, and and to and to us. And, and that's, our, that's our philosophy in life, right? I mean, all this stuff that we've been talking about, like going a hundred hours a week doing this or 40 hours a week training, mm-hmm. and um, ultimately not feeling like you're the best version of yourself in either of those things. I ultimately think that you know, the dieting industry is exactly that. It's, it's prescribing to the f- diet of the month, whatever that's some extreme thing that's and because it's extreme it's easy to grasp and that's what's nice about it right it's easy it's easy to grasp for it's easier to it's easier to live in that space for a short amount of time than it is to be sustainably healthy for a long time
1: right because that's vague and yeah, can't that, be marketed in a way where anyone can specifically profit off. It's of like it. going off a of feel, you know?
0: Like people want to hear, well, I need to have 60% of doing this, 30% of doing this, and whatever, you know? I need to have this many carbs, this, this you know, or no
1: carbs, I need to it, it, zero carbs. Yeah, and like, for, <laughs> I'm going to power my, my <laughs> multi sport so career just, without the one thing my cells actually need to generate energy.
0: I've got this idea. I'm gonna, um, and it's so dumb. I feel dumb even mentioning it because it's just a it's just a, fun, a dumb funny idea. But I want to make the picky diet for picky bars. You know, uh-huh. just a funny like campaign that's basically like, you know, everything's on the picky diet. Just don't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's, the, that's the crux of the whole thing. Uh-huh. Well, is, is ice cream on the picky diet? Yeah, just just don't be an asshole. Right. You know, and so, um, but I mean that's so that's our general nutritional philosophy is like. Um, you know we avoid extremes we try to eat generally very sustainably healthy um, and by sustainable sustainable in and of itself means avoiding extremes you know and um, and so that's a that's a mix of healthy uh, you know foods and um, as natural and unprocessed as possible and um, and then but there's there's room you know I I think there's room in every diet for it, for a bit of everything you know mm-hmm. and just just in in
1: healthy moderation so so but the the, the bars are all dairy free and gluten free right yeah,
0: yeah, yeah they yeah. are yeah we avoided those things we avoided those things uh, primarily because of the impact that they have on people's digestion system when they're when you're exercising mm-hmm. a whole bunch that was the 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 original. The original bar that Lauren created was basically like, what's the, what's the healthiest real food bar that I can give to Jesse when he's exercising a ton that will be the least upsetting on his stomach? Uh-huh. And those two
1: things tend to be the most upsetting. And was this born out of, having issues with other products that were available <laughs> because yeah you have to have your brain examined to say like I know I know the business we're gonna go into. We're, oh, gonna, we're gonna enter this market where there's like a thousand
0: competitors. It wasn't a business thing. You know it was a it was just a legitimate need um, that Lauren sensed, you know, and the and the not so savory part of the story was basically I was having a bunch of Bunch of stomach issues that Lauren wasn't very happy about, uh-huh, <laughs> you know, right. in and around the house, and um, training a ton and eating a ton. And Lauren was like, "Man, we gotta! I gotta find something for you to be eating. If you're eating a bunch, you know, every day, you gotta have something that's better on your stomach." And um, and so the idea was kind of taking the best of you know, at that time what existed in like a power bar, which is like sports performance, nutritional principles, but then marrying that with like uh, a Lara bar, which would be like a, you know, just, just basic like fruits Natural, and nuts. yeah, yeah. yeah. And real the, food. Yeah, and kind of taking, combining those two things. And that's ultimately what became a picky bar. Mm-hmm. And Lauren created them for me and then had, um, and then her and her, and our other co-founder, our friend, Steph, just started selling them to their friends at uh, this random like local running workout that they that they kind of coached every Thursday night, and um, people started buying them, and that was the that was the genesis of the whole right. company. And so it definitely wasn't. Ironically, I just finished business school. Right? And uh-huh. so I had just gone through all this, like here's, your, here's how you do your business plan, your financial yeah. model, yada, yada, yada. None of that. SWOT analysis, no, none that. There was none of that. Uh-huh. And uh, it was just, you know, and I'm glad that there wasn't ultimately because it would have discouraged us from doing it Yeah, um, because it is. The best things percolate up organically. Yeah. It's just, it, 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 you know, yeah, it's been, and that's what it's been. And um, it's, it is a industry I would never encourage people to get into. It's so competitive. Uh-huh. It's so cash intensive, particularly now with the investment that that's that's been coming into it. You know, we're talking about um I'm down here, I'm in LA for Expo West, right? Which is the which is the largest food trade, I think the largest food trade show in the US and it um, has to be. There's it, it no, has to it's be. Massive. It's so big. Um and so you can even just in the brief number of years that I've been going down there, I can see the growth of it through the investment that is being mm-hmm. had by private equity firms and everything else. So so for us, we're still a um, completely independently owned and operated company by just us. And that's- um, You haven't re- taken any outside investment? We haven't, any, not any yet.
1: angel funding or anything? We
0: haven't, yeah. yeah. It's something I'm evaluating now, um, but because, we're reaching the point now where we're big enough. We are starting to be, we're starting to barely play in those big fields and against the big guys. And it's pretty,
1: it's it's pretty hard to do that, yeah. you know, on, on your own. So, um, so you're in this yeah. position now, you got what, like 10 employees? Yeah, 10 employees, yeah. And you're selling some retail, right? But you also yeah. have this direct to consumer model. So you're yeah. kind of, Playing with both of those,
0: yeah. I mean, the cool thing that the I think maybe the most interesting or unique part of our business, because the bar, the the bars and and the and the oatmeal and the granola, there there are, they're great products. But if I'm to be if I'm going to be totally, humbly honest and say like, is this totally uniquely differentiated in this sea of products? It's pretty hard to do that, mm-hmm. right? But what I do think is unique about our company is that we started it online through social media and through our own racing and PR and like the, the, the stories that we've talked about and, and even more so with Lauren. And, um, and because of that, we have this e-commerce, we have, we have this e-commerce presence, but I would call it even more, humbly call it more than that is like a community of people that support the company and support the products online. Yeah, you kind and of position it like you're you're a member of a club. It right? is. Your club yeah, membership. we we literally have a thing called the Picky Club, mm-hmm. which is a monthly subscription um, to any of our products, and at any interval that you that you want it to get, and you get a discount. But that is that has there there has been a legitimate community that is created around that we get P- t- we get t-shirts to those guys they get a we're just sending out an email today where they get to help us design our next thing they help us with our all of our new products go through the picky club before uh-huh. their their launch so um it's cool when i go to races and i see and people come up and they have a picky club shirt on i mean that's like yeah. that's a cool deal yeah. and th- that's the most unique aspect of our business so that's Well what it goes
1: back on. to storytelling. It does it really you know? does. Yeah. Um, and you have a very authentic story uh, that you can tell around that and that you continue. I mean, like, I love it when you put those, like you had your board meeting and you're in your wetsuit and like shit like that. <laughs> right. Like, it's fucking awesome, thanks. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. who does that, you know? Yeah, thank you. And I think that stuff is really cool and it speaks to, you know, the authenticity of the brand. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, like the more, like what I'm learning just talking to you here is like, this is really a conversation about um about balance. like. I feel like there's a cultural discussion happening right now yeah. about like balance and what does that mean? It's like, yeah. forget about balance, be present. And then when right. you're talking to like endurance athletes or ultra endurance athletes, it's like, these are not balanced people. Yeah. But I'm getting like this super balanced vibe from you, like that you feel like you're doing your best when everything is kind of operating. Like when, when all these gears are kind of churning you know, in a healthy way.
0: Yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, I don't know if balance is the right word for it or not, but I think it's, I think it is like a a healthy interweaving of various aspects of life, you know, and, um, and ultimately feeling, um, you know, at the same time, you could say my life is not balanced. I don't, Rest that much, uh-huh. right? You I know, mean, well, you're a professional triathlete, yeah. an
1: entrepreneur. Yeah. You got two kids; one is one and a half, so you're probably yeah. not sleeping at all. Yeah. Like, this is not a, this is not, yeah. A, so, yeah, yeah, it's
0: not like it, yeah. you know, it, it's I'm working really hard. hard. I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I think what I'm trying to do is not, um, is simultaneously not sacrificing so much of one thing at the at the benefit of another, but then. But then, simultaneously, allowing some
1: sacrifice of each of those things to benefit wow. each other. You have to be and, okay. Yeah, with exactly. Kind of going sideways in every category a little, bit a little bit to yeah. maintain your sanity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, what have you? What have, what have been some of the big lessons that you've learned along the entrepreneurial journey that you've been on?
0: Oh man! You know, I like mean, starting a the, business. Oh my god! It has been <laughs>
1: such. <laughs> It's been so hard. Cause it seems like really straightforward. Like you have a recipe, you make these bars, oh, you wrap them up so and you sell hard. them. The number
0: one, and it's funny because Lauren, Lauren called me on the way here. Uh, you know, I was, been, I was in the wow. car for an hour and a half on the drive over here and she was like, you should feel comfortable saying whatever, whatever you want. Wow. And um, the, the, number one, the number one thing, the number one lesson I've learned is uh, if possible, don't start a company with your wife. Uh-huh. You know <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in, in all fairness, uh-huh. you know and i and Lauren is amazing, and she knows that i that I believe that, and incredibly talented, and she brings so much to me personally and to piggy bars and everything else, but man, that is a, there are a lot of hats to wear uh-huh. when you're trying to balance that in a business, and as this business has become more than just us, like you said now, ten employees. Uh, you know, thousands and thousands of customers. It's, um, there are stresses that go along with that that are almost impossible to completely separate from the house. Yeah. You know, and that, that you has, can't come home and turn it off. And it's so hard. You know. Yeah. And so that's been, that's been really tough. That's been the hardest, the, the biggest downside of it for sure is the toll it's taken on Lauren and I's relationship. And then to a certain extent, of the, I'm super proud of how we've, to be perfectly honest, how we're still together mm-hmm. and how we've navigated that and, and still strong and healthy as a result of that, but it has not been easy. Um,
1: so that, that's that's that been yeah. one of the biggest things. I mean, as somebody who, you know, works, uh, I work with my wife yeah. as well, not on yeah. everything, but on yeah. some things. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, it's, it's super challenging and hard. We're very different people. And then when we're home, it's like, it's very difficult to talk about anything it is. else. And you have to make a really conscious effort to create boundaries around that yeah. kind of stuff. Because if you don't make cultivating your relationship the first priority, then it's all a house of cards. It's, it's all going it's a down. ticking time bomb.
0: And it's even worse, as you know, when you have kids too, because that amount of time that you get Together is compressed Uh even more, you know. And then
1: there's all this pressure that it has to be meaningful. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah,
0: totally. We, we, Lauren and I, are doing our date nights. You know, um, we do a date night every week, and at first it was kind of. It felt a little bit pressureful, you know, like oh, this is our one chance. We've got yeah. three hours here, you know, and now we've now we've we've luckily settled into a groove uh-huh. where it's like, okay,
1: let's just do what we want. It's no I big deal. It, but I can't remember what it was her or you shared like you went and saw the Sundance shorts for oh, one of those date nights, and then they're all like about you know horrific. Oh, you know, the Oscar human shorts. Rights.
0: Yeah, nothing against the people that created those films, you know, because I can you know you can say they're great from a filmmaking standpoint, they're great films. The, um, but the Oscar, the live action Oscar shorts, I mean, four of the five movies were about like violence to young, to like kids uh-huh. basically, in some way, shape or form happening. And it was just like, as a parent, that's just like, that's like the last thing you wanna see. You know, you know it exists, but you don't wanna be sitting through the theater like watching that. And that's part of what makes, maybe it's part of what makes the movie so powerful, but at the same time, we're like, man, we're on a
1: date night. This Mm -hmm. is, so we don't wanna be doing this. So what have you had to rely on to get through, you know, those tricky moments of, you know, trying to find some equanimity in your marriage? We, um, you
0: know, friends and family, but also professional advice. I mean, we've we've been to counseling together for it, you know, for sure. Um, and just a lot of communication and luckily, like, ultimately this kind of foundation this like rock solid, you know, foundation Mm -hmm. to our relationship that it's like, oh man, even if we're, even if we're deep into, you know, screaming or whatever about something, it's still there, you know? And, um, and you just do your best not to you know to navigate it as positively as you can. And and I th- I think hopefully luckily we're th- we're through the worst of it, you know. Mm-hmm. As the business grows, it gets it it does get harder and harder, but um you know, Lauren has done a has we've been really conscientious of I mentioned to you before, we started of removing her from the kind of the daily um operations so the business can be at least on a day-to-day level, mine, and she doesn't really need to think Mm -hmm. about it. And I don't really need to interact with her on a day-to-day basis on it. Um, So that's been very conscientious. And hopefully even as we, you know, continue to grow a whole bunch, will be, that will set us up for, you know, success,
1: yeah. Well, Lauren first came on my radar probably around the same time that you did. And right. it was by way of her incredible blog. Like she's oh, an she's amazing writer. writer. Yeah. You know, it's like her facility with words and her ability to kind of like relate these concepts around female empowerment and yeah. sport um, are amazing. And it's like, yeah. I'm just waiting for her. To write a book. Yeah,
0: I'm glad that I got on your show first because then I don't have to uh, follow
1: Lauren, <laughs> so, but she. Uh, I would have had you guys both I on too at the same time because I think it'd be interesting for yeah, you guys be to be together to talk yeah, about we, how you never, all these things. Yeah,
0: and we've never done that. Um, well, you that have your own podcast now where you talk about Well, yeah, we yeah about that's true. Stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we do. We have a podcast now. Um, yeah, Work, Play, Love podcast, mm-hmm. which has been really fun. It's actually going back to the date night thing, The um Part of the reason we started that was just to set aside an hour every right. week where we just talk to I each know. other. My wife <laughs> and, and I have that same joke. <laughs> it's like
1: in order for us to actually have a real conversation, <laughs> yeah. we have to create. These yeah, exactly. how to
0: do this? <laughs> like, let's you answer know?
1: some people's questions because then we will talk
0: to each other. And 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 honestly, ideally, and for for our own benefit, talk to each other about not our problems, uh-huh. about other people's problems,
1: and then what do we <laughs> learn through? through that.
0: And so that's been really well, good. Well
1: now I'm going to write in a question for your podcast. You, should. you have all about like your guys' problems together. Yeah, force you to confront you that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um but no, yeah, I mean back to your th- Lauren's a great writer. She's she's working on some stuff right now. Um and uh you know she is she, you know she's very very busy. She's coaching and she's mm-hmm. a mom and um, she's still working with her company, Wazelle, up there in Seattle. And, um,
1: Is she one she's of the founders of that company? She's not I mean, not a founder, I know she was but, there from the very beginning, but- She's not a
0: founder, but she was their first kind of pro uh-huh. athlete, So She's a partner there. So she's, it's, it's very much a, a piece of, of what she's doing now. Right,
1: it's and, a really cool company. Yeah. So it's, it's all around, you know, female empowerment and- yeah. Um, celebrating female athletes. Yeah,
0: it's it's women. Yeah, that that's exactly it. It's it's the the products are women's uh, running apparel, specifically mm-hmm. uh, running in athletic apparel. But the soul of the company is exactly what you just described. Right. You know, and started by a female, Sally f- yeah,
1: Bergeron
0: Berger Bergesen yeah, yeah, female founder. Um, super staunch you know, supporter of, you know, women's rights, women's uh, empowerment, feminism, and Lauren very much so uh, as yeah. well. The, and the, the whole ethos of the company right. now is around that. And, and it's, a, it's a great company. They, they make great products, but what they stand for and, you know, what they message, the importance of what they message to women and to, to girls and uh, everything else is great, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah it's really cool. So she is working on a book, though.
0: She is working on a book. Yeah. And I can tell you that, the, you know, she's right now, you, you know, the process a mm-hmm. lot better than I do. But right now she's um, just kind of writing little, you know, tidbits, little chapters here and there of like various places in her life, you know, little frames. And um, a lot of it's around her dad who passed away, but um, who, who was a an, an impo- super important, uh, Piece of her development, mm. her life, and um, and then just her athletic journey, and and then ultimately like her personal journey, and it's very good. Obviously, I'm yeah. I'm very biased. She's my wife, and I think she's she's incredible. Well, but she's th- an d- incredible writer. The bit, the bit the the bits that I've read are are very very good. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm excited. It's a long ways out, you know, you know. Yeah. It's a it's a long ways out, but it's it's cool. It's it's fun for me to see her have this legitimate project that she's really sinking her teeth into that she's getting a lot of value
1: from right. personally. And where do you wanna see Picky Bars go? Like what's the, what's the five, 10 year vision for this? My
0: vision, the, the long-term vision for me would be that Picky Bars grows and becomes a, what, what I like to say, uh, a company that Bend is proud of. Right. So I was born and raised in this town, Central Oregon, Bend. A lot of people have heard about it now. It's
1: been on the cover yeah. of Outside Magazine, yeah. and much to the this chagrin. It's place of, that you should yeah, move. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure a lot of yeah, people so, have moved there. Yeah. A lot of people have moved. What's amazing is that when you think of Oregon, you think of Portland, Rain, yeah. and all that. And it's actually very arid. The te- It's very it temperate. Is. Yeah. It's incredibly nice, beautiful. Very and sunny. It's like an outdoor yeah, town paradise. So I'm like a unicorn
0: because I was born there, uh-huh. you know, back when it was like, 10 fifteen thousand people it's over a hundred thousand now but um for me personally the most proud I could feel about something a result of the company of picky bars would be the impact that it could have on that community and basically be like you know are we can we be a hundred person company there that's that's making great products that that impact people positively, telling stories that impact people positively. All of our customers, but then, but then also that's impacting the community with with awesome jobs uh-huh. and and giving back and and so to me that's the that's like the end goal, the dream. You know, there are some companies that exist like that, and Ben mm-hmm. that are that I'm modeling some of it off of, and um and so. You know, do you do all the manufacturing and co-packing and everything? We there? don't now. Yeah, yeah. it's still we're, we don't have the scale. You know, um, I would love to do that eventually, uh, and that would bring a whole bunch more jobs into into right. Central Oregon, which would be awesome. In addition to, it would be cool just to have you know 100 percent control over of our supply chain top to bottom. But um, you know, but you have to be you have to be quite a bit bigger, which yeah. is which is the plan. You know, and so I mean, we're hoping. You know, we're hoping to grow we're, we're really focused on that um, on building that picky club community ultimately yeah. and that like that e-commerce side because of the well for two reasons one because it's so it's so ludicrously expensive to be to get into distribution mm-hmm. because you're competing against all those guys that have 10 15 million bucks behind them yeah. and then and then but secondly because that's our wheelhouse, you know, building and Direct creating that, yeah, creating that and connection, crea- creating, that connection mm-hmm. creating that community online. Like that's what we know,
1: yeah. you know,
0: I'm not gonna pretend to know how to be in Safeway, you know, but- Well, but, and like, being we on
1: that. the shelf in Whole Foods, it's so, yeah. there's so many middlemen, it's so cost it's prohibitive so that it's, it just becomes like an yeah. advertisement. You're not making any money. It really
0: that. is. And, and we've experienced that, you know, bits and pieces. Cause we do have some distribution here and there. Mm-hmm. But, so I'm really focused on that e-commerce side, that picky club, specifically that that uh, the kind of the the content and the community curation that goes into making that right now it's a very valuable and I think cool and unique subscription service that does have some value outside of this subscription to the products itself. but I, I really want to build that into like something that's that's much, much more than yeah, just yeah, the yeah. just the delivery that you get, you know.
1: What are some things that you've learned from your experience being a professional athlete that have benefited you as an as an entrepreneur as a business owner?
0: The biggest thing um, would just be just to keep going, you know, just push
1: through, uh-huh.
0: like because you're gonna, you know, we have had I've.
1: You know, I've had lots like of ups you're, and downs. You're, you're puking on mile twelve. Yeah, like you know, like hey, this could change, and yeah. I could feel good again. Yeah,
0: or or even or even from like a bigger picture perspective, you're you get an injury, or you or you did completely fuck up your big race, or whatever happened. You had a shit house race. Keep going, because down the road there's going to be something else could happen that you don't even expect that could end up being bigger and better than whatever it is you thought you were trying to do. And that that's, I've experienced that athletically now multiple times, and I have now experienced it in business multiple times as well. We've been through some really hard stuff, you know, some of which was our fault, some of which was other people's fault, and um, times where I thought the business was right at, at its edge. And then, um, um, but ultimately, you know, we kind of go through those those down moments and uh-huh. keep striving and things come out, you know,
1: brighter on the other side, hopefully. Do you feel yeah. like you you tap into your experience as an athlete more than you tap into like what you learned
0: in, in business school? school?
1: Yeah, yeah, like what's what's more definitely. informative or or definitely
0: helpful to you? The the business school stuff is is helpful, but the that just that general vibe of like um working hard to solve a problem or to overcome an obstacle. I mean, that's there's just no substitute for it. You know, nobody has, nobody has the, the crystal, a crystal ball, you know? And, and um, I think at one of the struggles that I had as a young entrepreneur coming, particularly coming from an engineering side was feeling like I really wanted to or needed to have a, a plan, a model, an algorithm, that said, if I do this, this, and this, my business is is gonna end up this. Mm -hmm. And then- It's all gonna work perfectly according to some spreadsheet. Exactly, I wanted a spreadsheet that would tell me all the answers. And um, what I've learned now in business and and then through sport as well, is just that you cannot anticipate the many, many variables that are coming down the road. And so you just need to pick a direction and try until you run into the wall and then turn and then go a different way you know, and that's I try to do that more and more often in business now.
1: So you have Matt Dixon as your coach yeah. for your athletic career. Do you have mentors or people that you rely on for guiding you in the entrepreneurial journey? Definitely. Yeah. Some some really, really great ones.
0: Um, Kevin Rutherford is the CEO of Noon uh-huh. in UUN. Yeah, yeah. The the hydration uh, company. Great personal and professional mentor to me. Um, Scott Allen is the CEO of um, Hydro Flask, so you know make they right. make the insulated uh, mm-hmm. water bottles. Both those guys have been have been awesome, you know, impact it, very impactful to me on uh, on a professional level, and um, and I've got I've got a few others. So, you know, I've got Al Cochran as a guy from my business school times who's still an advisor to me, and. Um, I reach out to people a lot, way more than I used to. I used to be really, really feel like I needed to be able to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, as soon as I, I'm all probably almost annoyingly so, as soon as I run into a problem, I'm like, oh, who do I know that knows this? Yeah. And who can I reach out to? I think those relationships are really important in business though, because particularly owning and operating a company, because it's so, it's so unique. There are so few people that are at that level of it that um it's it's it, i just find it very valuable to get insight from people that are experiencing uh, those same have, things that have like weathered that same yeah. scenario yeah yeah exactly
1: so when you're talking to you know young business you know business school students or entrepreneurs other than like look man you got to like stay in it to win it like yeah. what what is some of the guidance <laughs> that you like to wisdom that you
0: well I mean the one yeah. I mean those two things that we just mentioned would be the, the next the next two most important which is seek out mentors you know that's yeah. that's super super important. I think a lot of young kids, particularly in the digital age feel like they can just google it themselves and um, there's you know I can't I can't overstate the value of just talking to someone in personally uh, to help figure out whatever problem it is you're trying to solve. And then the second thing was related back to what we said, which is um, don't get hung up on trying to know all the right answers. I think that's the biggest thing that keeps young young entrepreneurs from just trying something is feeling like they need to have it all figured out. Uh-huh. Um, and even you could relate that to young athletes too, you know, um, aspirational triathletes. Um, I get that question, like, how do I start? Well pick a couple of races and give yourself six months and just you know see how it goes. Uh-huh. And in six more months, you'll know five times more than you do right now. And in business, I think it's the same thing. It's just like, pick a direction, validate as quick as you can, and move on to the next decision with the new information that you have based on, on that validation. Yeah. My mom had this, and I'm sure it's it's probably a famous quote. From somebody that I should know, but it's it's a, it it is forever emblazoned on a cartoon, um, uh, magnet that goes on my mom's refrigerator,
1: <laughs> that uh-huh. says
0: um, sometimes you just have to jump and build your wings on the way down, uh-huh. right? And that's yeah. the way that's the way that I feel about business. Sometimes it's like, well, you you know, you got to go down. So, you're not really sure how you're gonna land, but like, let's just start going down. And we'll, right. f- you know, we'll find right. more as we get as we get along.
1: Well, that's like yeah. your first wildflower too. <laughs> it is, you yeah, know yeah, I mean? totally, yeah. Like getting the bike on the, yeah. you know, like not knowing anything about anything and just yeah. figuring it out on yeah. the go. And I like how you didn't just go out and raise a ton of money. You know, there's a lot oh, of private you. equity out there. Yeah. i like, you know, like from going to Expo, like- There's know, a lot of money out there. This of business foo- of like, you know, healthy natural food, like there's a lot of money floating around out there, I'm sure. Had you wanted to, you could have gone and raised yeah. some massive amounts of capital. Yeah, but to keep it like you know contained in that way. Yeah,
0: we're. I'm. I'm very proud of that, and I think that's a combination of, um, you know, direction and then also limited time. Where I'm just like, I'm not going to get somebody behind this thing while I'm doing it twenty hours a week, while I'm racing, you know, tra- and training mm-hmm. twenty to thirty hours a week. Um, And now as I evaluate, you know, as I'm spending more kind of full time in the business and I evaluate options, now it's like the, um, I think there is some legitimate benefit to me trying to achieve that vision by getting some appropriate partners behind it. But the key question is going to be, do those people align with that vision or are they Okay, yeah, I'll I'll help you accelerate the business, but right, then we want out. Exit. We want out yeah. in three to four years, and then and then it's then it just chopped up and gone. Yeah, the strategic you know, yeah exactly. smart money. So it's kind of fun. Fi- it's finding people that are like, yeah, we're we're excited about what you're trying to do here, and we're excited about the impact they can have on the community and and those types of things. So uh-huh. ultimately, that's what I'm looking for now. But we'll you know we'll see if we don't. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, it could just be that we keep doing it ourselves. I mean, we've made some. We've made some really great gains, just even in the last six or seven months that I've been working on it full time, and you know, so I'm going to at least give myself a year yeah. of doing it full time and I mean, see what happens. Like,
1: it's just crazy, like to listen to you is like, let's just take a moment and reflect on the fact that you've built this thing and got it to where it's at now by essentially being a part-time CEO. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, like. What happens when you when you attune your full attention?
0: Uh, hopefully, good. Hopefully, good things. You know? you know, it's like I was mentioning before. I feel like you know, to a certain extent, for every problem I solve, I'm kind of like uncovering another couple that I didn't know existed. But you that's know? your but, job is CEO. But that's my is, job is solving
1: yeah. problems, yeah. not like getting to a day where there are no problems. Yeah, that's like totally that day true. Will never come.
0: It, it's very it's exciting for me. It, it, it's a it's like an athletic journey. It's it's having this big goal, and. Um, you know, and feeling very personally fulfilled to see it, like you know, come to realization. There's all the same data involved. You know, like instead of looking right. back on my Strava splits, it's like <laughs> I'm pulling up my Shopify app and <laughs> yeah. I've got our sales yeah. for the day. Like, how many new club members did we get? You know, like all uh-huh. that. You know, so there's a lot of it, there's a ton you could of like similarities. Gamify that somehow. It, on some there platform really is. Where entrepreneurs, I mean, could I be like, I look at those yeah. apps all the time. You know, and it's, it's the same obsession I had with my with my you know, splits or data before. Right. And um, so, but it, but it's fun, you know? And, and I do, you know, I do legitimately enjoy the, um, the, the, the legitimate positive feedback we get back from people, you know, like when we, when we launched that, uh, that I love carbs campaign, mm-hmm. you know, with the t-shirts, uh, people really, they really, that really galvanized some people. That made them feel good, you know. They're uh-huh. like, kind of felt like they were losing their voice in the in some of the, you know, craziness of some of the diet trends that right. they go on, and um, and so it's it's cool to you know I guess like simultaneously just just mean something to people as well, you know, and and
1: that that's yeah that's been really and fun. and do it in a fun way and do it in a fun way, know? yeah, totally. We're never taking ourselves yeah. too seriously, so yeah. 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 How has other than like bonding you with your wife, like how has this podcast journey been for you? <laughs> You've been doing it for a while now, right? No, like how uh, many episodes do you guys have? I
0: know it's pretty funny. I got to tell a little story about Rich because I I call I I talked um, I called you maybe like a year ago mm-hmm. and was like, that hey, that long ago? I oh, think so. I mean, maybe maybe nine months. Yeah. You know, 10, 10 months. Um, but I was like, hey, I think you know, I'm thinking about doing something creating some type of content thing and you know maybe writing maybe doing whatever and I kind of I feel like I remember you saying something like well I definitely wouldn't start a podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> no I don't think I said that <laughs> there, maybe maybe you I, did. I probably said something like like, it's getting crowded, it's, and if yeah. you're gonna do it, you should have like an interesting, unique okay. angle in that's a little bit different from, right. I'm gonna sit down and interview people. Yeah, totally, yeah.
0: and and I guess like, and so I'll qualify that with saying, in no way, shape, or form were you at all being like, like at all pushing back on anything that I was trying uh-huh. to do. You, you were, I should actually say, were also, thank you very much for the incredible support that you have given Lauren and I with your of expertise for book, book writing and, and everything else so so we but but yeah we did ultimately we did end up doing a podcast uh-huh. and um and it has been it has been really fun you know like it's it's small you know it's it's not anything you know anywhere in the realm of what you're doing here but it's it's, it's a, all about that though but like, it's fun yeah. yeah it's fun and it's and it, it's Here's the thing. I think it's uh, it's legitimately fun and valuable time for Lauren and I, yeah. which is cool. It, it justifies our time
1: into. If it. you're having fun yeah. doing it and it's it's adding value to your life outside of any externalities, great. then that's already even a win. if it, even if it's just going into a void one person. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. So
0: and then and then we're getting you know we we get a lot of positive feedback from the content too, mm-hmm. which is really great. I think the thing that's going to be tough for us. Um, with the, the the platform that we've created where we're answering people's questions is uh, versus like interviewing people is um, how does it not become repetitive? How are, how are you, how is there enough variation in the questions that you're not, you're always going to be recycling like certain themes, but you're. But it doesn't
1: become like oh, what well, goes of already back to the magnet on your mom's refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah, what I mean. Totally. Like you just keep doing it, yeah, and it'll it'll tell you what it wants to be, and yeah, You'll intuitively exactly. know what those moves are, yeah.
0: You know? So, but we're really enjoying it, you know. I mean, it's still like I said, still very, very small, but. Um, but we really like it, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's been really fun. It's just just a cool reason for Lauren and I to get across from a table from each other and just give each other shit, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and talk about, you know, people's stuff and then talk, talk about the last week in our own lives and, and reflect on
1: it, Uh you know? There's a, there is a, you know, a thirst for just anything real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I think if I could if I would say anything to you it's just like don't worry about like how you're lacing it with some right. valuable takeaway yeah, it's yeah. just the sh- the sheer just, talk. just just you guys having yeah. a real conversation in and of itself is like is the win right and then people will automatically extract from that you know something that's that is good advice their life. yeah that's that's good so, advice um we gotta wrap this up, yeah. but I wanna do before we do that. I wanna <laughs> I wanna talk to you about like this you just announced that you're gonna be doing a marathon. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Um so this is new. Yeah. This Have is you really ever new. run like a formal no. just marathon without no. I've run a 244 yeah. after a swim and a bike, Which is insane. just like you said. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I can't imagine that, it. but like
0: um no, yeah. So mm. this was a um I was actually really nervous about making that public and that just happened a couple of few days ago mm-hmm. on on Instagram um you know just because you know i i've even though i've built my myself up as a as a as, a, as an athlete in the space that is pursuing all different kinds of challenges like this was a big de- a big departure yeah. for me to for me to actively say hey and and what i a- actively said was hey i i need to spend more time in my business and more time on my family Therefore, I just don't feel like I can train adequately for even a half Ironman, certainly not an Ironman. And I kind of have given myself a training budget of about 10 hours a week. It's Mm -hmm. about as, as, that's as much time as I feel comfortable allocating to training. And because of that, how do I wanna pivot my goals? Is there still some cool athletic goal that I could try to go accomplish that would still be the best I've personally ever done? that fits within that time constraint and that was a marathon. To me that was like I started running a little bit more. I was like, man, I you know, I only ran 30 miles a week as a triathlete my entire career anyway. Right. And so can I take some of these things that I've learned, some of this extra aerobic capacity but then also some of these things that, that I've I'm so much better at now than I was. I'm clearly not the same runner I was when I was 23, mm-hmm. right? I'm 39. But I've learned so much more. Can I apply that, being able to go off a of feel better, having much better nutrition, like nutritional habits, and can I see what I can get out of myself? And and I am supremely lucky in that I have sponsors like we the guys we talked about, Roca, my own company, uh Desant, uh, Diamond, and 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 Red Bull who said, yeah, we're cool with you doing that mm-hmm. if you go tell a story. Like that's super unique. When you come from from an industry that's like, mm-hmm. we want you to do Kona or nothing. Right. A guy comes in and is like, I want to go run a marginally fast marathon that's not going to be competitive on like right. a national level at all, but is just going to be like, Hey, what can I do? Right. And maybe people But I'm not going inter- to win because I'm, I'm busy win. with my other yeah. job. I'm going to train 10 hours a week, but I'm going to tell a story about it. And I think people will be interested in it. And they were supportive which is really cool.
1: I think so, what you're gonna find yeah. is, is first of all, it's very smart uh, and forward thinking of these sponsors to get on board with that, because what you're gonna find is by telling that story in real time as you progress towards it, it is so much more accessible to the average person right. than like, hey, I'm gonna go to Roth and try to win. Yeah, you know? yeah it's like it totally is. People can't, yeah. they're like, well, that's inspirational, yeah. but I can't really connect with that. Yeah. But hey, 10 hours a week because he's got kids and he's got a business, yeah. like I relate to that. Yep. Like, you know, my, the most I have is 10 hours a week. Exactly. Maybe I have six hours a week, so yep. I can get on board with this. And you're gonna go and you're gonna kick ass and you're gonna have this amazing result. You're not gonna win, but you're gonna, no. you're gonna run a fast time. And I think that's gonna be a source of a tremendous amount of inspiration and um, an emotional connection with the people that are following you, which uh, ultimately is much more valuable than- Definitely. Some triathlete you've never heard of at an ITU race that is on a podium- King, whatever. Who's getting sponsored yeah, by whoever. I
0: hope so. And I yeah. think
1: that that bodes well for the future of what these corporate sponsor relationships look like for athletes, because it, it goes back to how we started this conversation yeah. it's about storytelling, story-telling. and if totally you can t- tell a story well and 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 have it create value for that brand that's taking a shot on you then that's really you know that's really how you can deliver the most value to those people yeah. that have been with you and have believed Absolutely. in you for a long time
0: yeah and it's and it's it's infinitely more fun for me. Yeah.
1: You know, is the other part of it because, and there's not that much pressure. No, that's you. the thing. Yeah. I mean, I
0: wanna do well because I'm uh-huh. you know, because I'm competitive and I wanna get the most out of myself. But it's not, you know, it's not the same as what I was doing before. And but it's also like, you know, it's it's just like I said, it's it's a lot more fun. You know, I mean the the triathlon, you know, that's hard too. I mean, it's a grind. My body mm. is, you know, wearing down. And um and so this just allows me to spend more time with my family and do all those things I talked about while also doing something that's unique. And, and then eventually after I do the, the the marathon, maybe there will be some other cool challenge right. down the road that fits within those realms too. And. You, know, you we'll do see. the swim run. Thing. Oh man, that's what everybody <laughs> says. Somebody told me I should try to do that with you. Yeah, Somebody was uh, like, you should get, was, you, no, you should I get just Rich do, Roll and go do a <sighs> swim run. So somebody Dude, said that because I, I honestly was like looking at races or something and somebody uh-huh. suggested that. I can't remember that, but. That would
1: be way too much of a mismatch because like, I can't, there's no way I could keep up with you. you know, and then there's no way I'd regard. keep up with you on the swim either.
0: That the thing with the swim run for me is that you have to
1: swim, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, you do have to <laughs> swim, but you actually don't, Get to run that much. Is that it's right? It's more like yeah. climbing over rocks and oh, stuff right. like that. I yeah. mean, it's obviously completely course dependent.
0: I mean, it looks cool. I mean, it looks, It was fun. It, it was, yeah, it, was it was looks fun. like an awesome yeah. experience. I mean,
1: and that's ultimately like, I just what, like what you're that for. now there's this whole thing and there's all these races popping up. Yeah. Tons. You know, mostly in Europe. I mean, starting yeah. here a little bit. There's yeah. Like this guy, Lars Finnegar, is, you know, creating yeah, a I know. Lars. series. Yeah. Um, and I think that's exciting and fun to just see the evolution of multi-sport in yeah. new and different stuff. Yeah, now. I think so too. So.
0: I think, is I think you know, going back to a little bit what we talked about with WTC and Ironman and kind of the monopolization around that, I think that there's gonna be more and more appetite for less, you know, just, just different multi-sport events uh-huh. that, that aren't uh, the kind of cut and dry, half Ironman, yeah. Ironman, you know, super duper competitive Right. you know whatever, and um we view i've even got I've got some ideas for events i'd love to th- I'd love to have in Bend that you know are just kind of off the crazy you know right. weird multi sport stuff that combines a whole bunch of stuff you right. know there's that one in there's a the one in Bend called pole pedal paddle, which uh-huh. is a super yeah, fun yeah one. yeah yeah I've heard they that. did yeah you, so, did you do that i did, you did that one yeah, year. yeah yeah, 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 mm-hmm. so that's like super fun it'd just be fun to find some more
1: stuff like that yeah. Just cool. don't call it a retirement.
0: No, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly, I'm Not retired. a transition. I know, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I'm saying. I said in that post, I was like, I'm not retiring. I'm also not trying to make the Olympic team. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. right. You
0: know, it's just, I'm just gonna go run a marathon as a dude that's running a marathon, see how it goes. Cool. So, yeah. But you haven't announced which one yet. You no, said it's I think, in Eugene? I think that's- it's gonna be Eugene. Uh-huh. Yeah, I looked at Boston, which is a couple weeks before um, and I actually reached out to them and then I didn't hear back. Um, right away. And then like over the week or so that I was kind of waiting to hear back from them, I kind of was like, I don't really know if I wanna do Boston. Uh-huh. And um, the reason was uh, getting my family all the way out there and everything. It just seemed like more, you know, it goes back to, like just a little bit more than I'd wanna like put into it. Eugene You're is doing great. doing it for
1: fun. Doing it for
0: fun. For it's a like. pressure release as opposed to going into a pressure cooker kind totally. of place. Totally, yeah. yeah. I can have my family there. Picky bars will be there. You know, it's like just over the mountains from us. Uh-huh. It's a great course. It's, a, it's where we started Picky Bars, you know? So it's kind of cool to go so back there. And like there's storytelling. Yeah, that that's there. the thing. Yeah it's, yeah, it's cool. It'll be, so that, that'll be fun. Cool.
1: So, yeah. All right, man. We'll yeah, come back and tell me about it
0: after you do it. All right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And bring Lauren next yeah, time. Yeah, we'll do. Really appreciate it, Rich. Right, thanks man. so much. Yeah, yeah, thank
1: you. Super fun. Yeah. Um, if you're digging on Jesse, you can. he's pretty easy to find. Yeah, Jesse Thomas yeah. on Instagram is probably the best place. Yeah, Jesse M. Thomas. Jesse M. Thomas, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And uh, pickybars.com. Yep, yeah,
0: pickybars.com or at pickybars on social. So yeah, cool. we're all out there. Yeah, I
1: appreciate it. Awesome, man. Yeah.
0: Thanks, dude. Awesome, yeah. Right, peace. Yep.
1: Yeah. Good stuff, people. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Please let Jesse know what you thought of today's conversation. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse M. Thomas. And again, you can get 30% off his Picky Bars products when you go to pickybars.com and use the code RichRoll at checkout. And also, again, I am not an affiliate here. I have no financial entanglement here. It's just Jesse being gracious. So check that out. As always, please visit the episode page at richroll.com to peruse the copious show notes we compiled to take your earbud experience with Jesse to levels downright erudite people. If you're struggling with your diet, please check out our Plant Power Meal Planner. Really proud of this product. It really solves a fundamental problem that I think a lot of people have, which is how to make delicious, nutritious, eating convenient and affordable. We solved it, you guys. When you sign up at meals.richroll.com, you get access to thousands of delicious and easy to prepare plant based recipes. Everything's customized based on an array of personal preferences that you input when you sign up. You get unlimited grocery lists. You get grocery delivery, and most metropolitan areas, and access to a team of expert nutrition coaches seven days a week to answer any questions you have. And you get it all for just $1.90 a week, which is an amazing price considering what we're offering and delivering. It's literally the price of a cup of coffee. So to learn more and to sign up, go to meals.richroll.com or click on meal planner on the top menu on my website. If you would like to support our work here on the show, and I hope you do, There's a couple simple ways to do just that. Just tell your friends about the show or your favorite episode. Take a screen grab, share it on social media, subscribe, perhaps the most important thing, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you listen or watch this. Uh, Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or leave a comment on YouTube. And you can support the show on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. As always, I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today because I do not do this alone. Jason Camiello for audio engineering production, show notes, interstitial music. Blake Curtis and Margo Lubin for videoing and editing the podcast and all the short clips that you see on social media. Also Blake, thank you today. He's managing some audio work for us. Uh, Jessica Miranda for graphics, DK for advertiser relationships, Allie Rogers for portraits and theme music as always by Analemma. Appreciate you all for listening. I don't take your attention for granted. It means so much to me. And I will see you back here in a few days with another great episode with Doug Bopst, who is a former felon turned fitness trainer. Interesting. Until then, peace. Plans, namaste.